Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 81, The Sons of the Dragon. I'm Scatty and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, in this episode, as Scat said, we'll be covering original title to the episode, The Sons of the Dragon. Yeah, I kept it simple. This is a little, yeah, you know, you gotta do it, especially when we're doing something different like this. It's a little, it's a little different, uh, just yeah. because The Sons of the Dragon is a novella that George released a couple years ago, uh, and but it's also included in its entirety within Fire and Blood, the new book that came out just just uh, just shortly ago. And from what we can tell, it's like almost exact, right? Like copy and paste. Yeah, as far as I could tell. I mean, I I didn't I didn't check absolutely word for word, but I like for the first like ten pages, I checked the beginning and ending word of each paragraph and they were identical and it's there yeah. right so you can follow along with us if you haven't read it already by reading that novella the sons of the dragon or just go to the chapter in fire and blood called the sons of the dragon and you'll get the same story uh, that's pages 51 to 106 of fire and blood that's right yeah we named it sons of the dragon so we can just keep it simple Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, moving into some announcements. So uh, kind of extending from that thought, so um, we've changed around the order a little bit. We had said before we were going to start with The Princess and the Queen, in reading Fire and Blood and reading these novellas, which I read all of them in like a week, uh, just to kind of get up to speed on everything, Matt and I talked, it was just like, why don't we do these in chronological order in the world instead of backwards order, which is what we had announced we were going to do. So we're starting with the Sons of the Dragon. We'll do the Rogue Prince next, and then the Princess and the Queen. And uh, we'll see what we're going to do after that. There's a bunch more content <laughs> of Fire and Blood that we can come back to. Uh, we wanted to cover the novellas to be kind of completionist, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. wanted to kind of cover all the stuff George has, has done in this world. Uh, so we'll see what we come back to. But anyway, sorry for the misfire. We hope you guys will forgive us in our attempt to be to be complete and cover all the material. So, yeah, Scat and I both love this idea of someone coming to the podcast, you know, later down the road for the very first time and looking at our list of episodes and just seeing everything, right? Yeah, and cover that whole world of Germ. That's to exciting to us. So. If they get past the smoke right. alarm in the first episode, they can. <laughs> They can listen to all of it. Someone on Twitter brought that up today. Well, it was Beth. Her husband, Justin, is listening now. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Uh, this is probably two years later for you now. Yeah. No, just teasing. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? That they, Someone else, she was talking about the smoke alarm, and someone called it like a novelty now or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't remember what it was. A piece of nostalgia. It was like charming or something. Maybe? Nostalgia, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. The famous fire alarm from episode one. And we were doing Friday night so. movie tonight, movie night tonight at my house, which we do. We do as a family. We do a we watch a little movie on Friday night every night, every week, um, unless there are conflicts or whatever. And uh, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles this week, uh, the original <gasps> movie from. Hey, just after we watched it. Well, I, yeah, actually, yeah. they watched it midweek on the snow day we had. They watched it that mm -hmm. morning, um, and. Uh, they loved it. But anyway, uh, right in the middle of that movie, the smoke detector goes off again. I'm like, oh, God, i got to get a battery now. I was ready to, like, drive to the store and get batteries to avoid uh, a duplication. Anyway. 
All right. Oh man. Enough All right. Um, next announcement. Next announcement. All you. This is fun. It is so. Fun. Contrary to what I have said recently, uh, tickets have been purchased, and I will be attending Ice and FireCon with Scatty. With all of you that decide to go, yay! I, yeah, we're uh, we're going to be together. Matt surprised me on the cast tonight. Uh, actually, his his wife uh, came on and uh, and surprised surprised me by telling me that she had bought Matt a flight to go to Ice and FireCon, and I was just over the moon, overjoyed, super excited. Mm-hmm. To have my buddy along for the ride to his first Ice and Fire Con. So if you're going, everybody go out of your way to leave him alone because he's a bit of you know he's a bit of a wallflower. I'm just kidding. Come up yeah, and say I, hi to him. I will. Uh, I will be awkward. <laughs> this season, you're, you're I, I the thing I most the thing I'm most excited about. The thing I am most excited about is just finally uh, making those those personal face to face connections with people who I've who we you and I have interacted with for years and years and years now, um, years and years and years not years and years four years right. Yeah. Uh, just looking forward to to finally making that personal connection with you more so than the Song of Ice and Fire content, which is going to be great. It's more about. Uh, the people to me so i'm excited very excited absolutely all about the people and uh if this news pushes you over the line to go to ice and fire con because you want to meet (laughs) the wonderful matt uh don't forget (laughs) to get a ticket and put fingers in at the end so you can uh, save five bucks and let them know we sent you and uh all right we'll love to see you there so nope all right all right well i'm uh, let's just end the podcast there because it can't get any better, right? <laughs> All right, so, maybe <laughs> we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. It's a little bit of a different, a different thing. The, and uh, extending from that idea, uh, a little bit of a new format for us today. Uh, you know, it's history. Uh, we're not going to be doing our traditional summaries. There isn't really any Davos after dark for this kind of stuff. It's all straight history, right? So. It's all on the table for the whole cast. There's no we're gonna traverse all the way through all the different uh, histories and the Song of Ice and Fire, Duncan Egg, anything canon. So so hang on, hang on for the ride. All right, it's gonna be a little bit different for us this time. Absolutely, it's gonna it's gonna be weird. Um, not weird, but different. Different. Maybe weird. We'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll who knows? We're pros, Matt. <laughs> New print, little yellow. yellow, different, different. We fear change. Uh, but this part, there is no change to this part. We love hearing from you. So of course, if you want to contact us, suggest topics or anything coming up, as you can see, Scad and I are kind of wandering around a little bit in terms of, uh, things to do. We've got Duncan Egg out of the way. We're doing the novellas, but we're, we're, you know, we're always open to new ideas of things to cover. So if you have any good ideas, let us know. Uh, website davosfingers.com. Email is we are davosfingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at davosfingers. We're on Facebook and you can learn about our Patreon program at patreon.com slash davosfingers. Yeah. And one of the things you can do with that Patreon site is, uh, is sign up for 
uh, a few of our levels that get get some notoriety here at this section of the podcast where we thank uh, our patrons at the Dirty Cab Driver level or higher. We'll just take care of that right now. So thank you to Jacob M. Lady Fatas Red. <laughs> Jeff H. <laughs> oh, Archmaster June, healer of the lesser poxes. Jeremy L. We got Jamie K. Donnerus. Sarah from Texas. Sarah from Texas, who sent me a lovely email several months ago. Thank you for that. Uh, Colin you. Sarah Stormthea Snow, the bastard storm. Alex G. Uh, we got Jib or Gib. Gene. And Ghost Chase Killer. And now at the reach around level, we have B Word, the Queen Beyond the Wall. Mm-hmm. And Josh C., who's Warden of the Reach Around. And at the Team John level, we have Strong Belwas spinoff. And the lovely Misa, the Queen of Gifts and Beauty. Our Queen. All right, let's just jump right, right into it. The Sons of the Dragon, Matt. Yes, indeed. So uh, for this, let, let's talk about the sons. Who are the sons of the dragon? Um, we have got, first of all, Aenys and Magor, who are the sons of Aegon Targaryen, the first of his name. Um, and Scott, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, George sat down. And he basically must have written one of them. And then he just went, okay, now let's write the other one. Yeah. And he just did an opposite, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it feels almost, it feels almost lazy, to be honest. It's the DeVito Schwarzenegger vibe <laughs> from Twins. It's super strong. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know whether, you know, he kind of set this up to be, because there, because you get this throughout with the Targaryen rulers a little bit, you get some of these mm-hmm. like warmongering, battle-hardened badasses like Magor, and you get these more artistic, more pensive, more thoughtful kind of rulers of the people. And it's almost like he sets this out. You know, you get you've got Aegon who conquered and and made it his own and and carved out the world, and then now look, these are the two examples you're going to get kind of over and over through history with a few exceptions, right? So, I, I, yeah, I found it interesting how he how he set them apart that way. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Aenys was, of course, born first. He was born in 7 AC to uh, Aegon's younger sister wife, Rhaenys. Uh, Magor came about five years later, daughter of Visenya, or son, excuse me, of Visenya. So they're half-brothers, uh, Aenys, when he was born, like we said, these opposites. Aenys was small and sickly, kind of took a while to grow into himself. Um, he really started to kind of thrive and grow once his dragon hatched, Quicksilver, and he was very close to his dragon. Uh, what else? He was diligent in weapons instruction. Um, they even said he was courageous, but people admitted that he was really only kind of adequate as a fighter. He wouldn't disgrace himself, but no songs would ever be sung of his prowess. Uh, one thing he was good at, though, is he was a fine singer. He was, oh my goodness, he was courteous, he was charming, he was clever. He made friends easily, girls liked them. He was always wanting to please people. He was patient. 
Um, that also meant he was easily influenced many times. Yeah. Uh, how was Magor on the other hand, Scatty? Well, Magor, I mean, just like we said, the exact opposite. He was renowned for his martial prowess. He was regularly beating men up uh, many years, his elder. I think it was he was three <laughs> years old. His mom gave him a sword and he killed a cat like immediately in the yard. Yeah. Um, he had no patience for studies or the arts or any of that kind of stuff. It was all about military, you know, military prowess. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, completely different men. And, you know, to the point where this, they're so different, it's meant to be offsetting. Um, and and mm-hmm. we're meant to see that. Yeah. He was a school, he was made a squire at age eight. Yeah. And uh, knighted, I think, at 16. Uh, but but yeah. but beating men in the yard at fourteen, beating grown men in the yard at fourteen, um, you know, it just he is he is a military man, and and f- to that end, you know, a lot of people said he was he was more of Aegon's son than 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 now. Here here we go. Here's how I'm going to pronounce this, and I'm I'm probably going to have to make a sidebar to explain all this. Uh, I am pronouncing this name Aeonis, and. You guys, I had a, a crisis of conscience when I tried to think about how to say this name because I didn't want to say anus. Mm-hmm. But I have a, I have this language compulsion where I want to be consistent with these names. <laughs> and I've always said Daenerys, and I've always said Viserys, and uh, I feel like that Y-S is meant to be a hard S sound. And so I've started now, I'm trying to be consistent, Kalisar. Keep Try to keep me to it. I'm trying to make this A-E sound in these names, make make them each say their sound a little bit. Aeonis, Rhaenys, Daenerys. It's going to be hard, but I'm trying to maintain That's... this consistency for myself because it's something that, that is what important. she said. Yes. That is what she said. It is going to so, be it's gonna be hard, <laughs> and see, and see. I always have pronounced them Daenerys and uh, Viserys, and so Aenys rolls for me. And that's I'm, fine. I'm glad it does. And uh, yeah, shout out to you. Brooke. Can say Aenys. Say it how we want. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, I where was I? Oh my gosh, I totally just ran us off the rails. Um, you know, Aenys. I think he. The saddest thing about him is he wanted it so bad, I think. I think he did his best to mm-hmm. to do right by everything they wanted him to do. He just mm-hmm. he just didn't have it in him. And, you know, again, like we said, they set, he sets these two against each other in a way as if to say everyone's missing something. And these two people at oh, these yeah. extremes neither one can 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 be successful you need something else right you need both right and yeah go ahead oh let finish your thought well just i think had had anus had more a better support structure i think maybe he could have been okay you know his mom died uh when his when his dad died and he took over um you know Vicente didn't want anything to do with him Right, um, he, and he was only three when, when his mom died. Right, yeah, exactly. So his mom was dead. His dad died. 
He didn't have a, a great support network. He didn't have a bunch of brothers to lean on to help him. Uh, it was not a, it was not a really big support structure like a lot of these Targaryens get in future years, and he kind of just floundered to be honest. And you know, he leaned on this this Mermison guy. Um, Stokeworth, I think, was that was his first hand. It was actually Aegon's hand as well when when Aegon died. Um, mm -hmm. I think he was a good hand, but died in in some of these rebellions that we'll talk about a little bit later. Mermison, I think, was a little bit of a disaster. Um, you know, and and Aenys had a lot of the right ideas, but he was terrified of upsetting people and making and, right. and, and sticking to his decisions because he didn't want to he didn't want to upset anybody. And mm -hmm. one one of the people that I work with um, said years ago, and I'll never forget it. He said, "There is nothing worse." than working for someone who's in control that's indecisive that can't that can't make a decision and stick to it and you know and and roll with it um and that's that's anus to a t right he, he just cannot have, be firm in his convictions as as much as he wanted to yeah. right yeah He's, the dude just always wanted to make the right choice and ah uh, it got him into trouble for sure yeah yeah, um, or made things worse. Yeah. yeah. And he, he also had, no, he didn't understand. He's like, why, you know, why, <laughs> why, why do they not, why, why do they not, you know, want to follow me? Why are they against me? Why, why are they making this difficult? Just come talk to me. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, there's one part that we'll get to later with some of the revolts where yes. he says exactly that. Yes. He's just like, if they would have just, if these rebels would have just come and talked to me, right. we could have worked this out. Yeah. Yeah. But so yeah, I actually have a little quote for each uh each each little section that we've got here. And the one for this section is mm -hmm. the two queens were as unlike each other as any two women could be, save in one other respect. Each of them gave the king a son. And I think in their sons you also see how different how different the queens were is how different the sons were, right? Even more so, right? Yeah. Um Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Rainey's was was very much the the queenly queen. She was gracious at court and she entertained singers and and she she was kind of a social butterfly it seems like. And Visenya was very martial and severe and uh very into that side of things which Magor was too, right? Yeah. And and the thing about Rainey's as well is she was so social a butterfly that there were murmurings around that maybe she was unfaithful. Whispers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that also hurt Aeneas in his rule because people were, uh, you know, maybe thinking he wasn't the rightful heir. Right. Which, that just bugs me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a king and stuff, but when he was months old, months yeah. old, Yeah. Just because he was kind of sickly and small and he cried a lot and stuff, people were like, that's not Aegon's kid. Nope, that's yeah. not Aegon's. But Look at that little sucker. But it's, he's an infant and he's, he's crying. It's not break. It's not untrue, though. People people say things like that. Oh, that is not, yes. that is not and, his and father's not right. son. Right? No, it's not yeah. right, but <laughs> it's not inaccurate. Yeah, but at the same time... Aegon was the one who had, you know, high septon after high septon after high septon in his back pocket, right? Yeah. Who had 
loyalty of his lords. He was he was very much able to get along with people in addition to his martial prowess. Um, yes. Where and so so we've talked a little bit about Aenys and we haven't talked a ton about Magor's personality. Yeah. And how Magor he understood one thing that Magor did well is he understood the power of a symbol, right? You know, he he understood the importance of Blackfire and having that king's sword at his side. Whereas Aenys, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later, just kind of gave it to him. He's like, you can have Blackfire. It's cool yeah. with me, man. I just want you to be by my side. Yeah, have the sword. But he understood that there's power in that symbol of the sword. When he took the crown, whose crown did he did he wear? He wore Aegon's crown, right? Because he understood that was important. Yes. But at the same time, Magor was described as quarrelsome. He got offended easy. He was slow to forgive. He was fearsome in his wrath. Yeah. He always replied to difficulties with fire and blood. He was rigid. He was distrust distrustful. Yeah. You know, and and uh, that's very un Aegon like as well. So yes, yeah, and uh, you know, I also get the the sense that to some degree, you have these two. Uh, pitted against each other to offset what comes after them, right? It's very kind of peak and valley-ish with these Targaryen rulers, right? You get good ones and bad ones, and uh, mm -hmm. the one that follows Magor is, uh, you know, perhaps the best ruler that that we get to see, um, and it's a stark contrast, right? Against these right. two that don't have the whole package, right? So would you say Aegon is kind of a peak, even though he's kind of the first? And then would you say Aenys and Magor are both kind of a valley? I put them at the same low level of valley. Well, I, I would put Magor lower, but that because of what I value. But you know, people that respect strength might put him right. a little higher than Aenys. But I would put him but a little on lower. a downward slope. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then back up with Jaehaerys. Yeah. yeah. I feel you. So their relationship with each other. Yeah. As I mentioned, we we don't. You know, Fire and Blood doesn't give a ton about their relationship. Almost nothing. Um, yeah. I yeah. We, the first real mention we have is, is well, they, there was five years difference between them, which is a fair fair amount, but not a ton. I'm I'm now good friends with my little brother, who's six years younger than me. Um, but as I mentioned, uh, he said when Magor... When, when Aenys was crowned, he said to Magor, Brother, you need never kneel to me again. We shall rule this realm together, you and I. And he gave Magor Blackfire, saying, You're more fit to bear this blade than me. Wield it in my service, and I shall be content. Yeah. Um, old, uh... Fun fact, Magor, Magor had also received Dark Sister from his mother, Visenya, so he had both Valyrian steel swords. That's right. Um, yeah, you get the old uh, Aragorn, you bow to no one uh, line. I totally find you. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, the, but the the interesting thing is you get this, and again, kind of offsetting the two, you get this gracious kind of um, concession from Aeneas, you know, about ruling uh -huh. the kingdom together and giving him the sword, and maybe it wasn't intentional, but I would, li I would like to think it is. Magor gives you nothing. He gets you get right. nothing in response. You get nothing back. Nothing mm -hmm. back from him. And I, I I get the sense from this silence that he disliked Aenys. He sensed in him weakness, 
and he took the sword and gave him a hug probably and stood up and didn't kneel anymore, but didn't really do a whole lot. And then, like you said, we get precious little about anything else during their rule. They were only hanging out together with him as hand, I think, for two years. Um, but you get nothing about what they did together in that time, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's. we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Magor's victory at the Vale, but that's when he was named Hand of the King. Right, right after Stoker, um, Stoker and then, died. Yep. And then really the only other thing is uh, Magor's second marriage, which resulted in his exile. Right. Other than that, we really don't have a lot of interaction between the two. But. Yeah, and I, I get I get the sense that over the short years where Aenys ruled, Magor kind of, it might have, his feelings toward his brother... These are just opinions, but his, the feelings toward his brother, I think, grew from just, like, distaste, like, God, you're weak, that kind of thing, yeah. to, to resentment and hatred. Um, oh, yeah. Because his brother was king, and also because his brother had no problem producing many, many heirs, which we'll get to a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Oh. But I, yeah, so I think he grew to resent that a lot. Mm-hmm. You got anything else? Okay. Can we move on? Yeah, we can definitely move on. Okay. Uh, one thing we're going to do here uh, as part of this episode is we're going to intersperse several questions from uh, from our patrons in here that they've asked. Some of them are about A Song of Ice and Fire. Some of them a little less so. Um, so we'll we'll intersperse those here. And uh, we're going to start with one from uh, our blood rider, Beth. Uh, she asked one directly to me first. Scad, will you ever watch the show? If the spinoffs happen, would you guys consider watching those? I don't know what show she's talking about. Uh, <laughs> I assume she means. Um, I think Thrones. I think she means I think she means the voice. <laughs> the Will voice. you ever watch the voice? I prefer the yeah. masked singer. So, okay. um, all right. Uh, so first of all, I don't have HBO, so it makes it pretty easy to miss them. Uh, it hasn't been a huge temptation. Uh, nor probably will the spinoffs be if that's where they reside, because I just don't have HBO. And I'm closer to quitting cable than buying it. And I know you can get HBO Go, which may be an option. But anyway, it's just never really been... It's never been easy for me to see them, and, and it makes them easy to miss. However, I think I said from day one, I probably will watch them someday when when the book series is finished. My opinion on the series is that it's very well done. It, I just... I want to hear George's version of this story. I don't. I don't want to hear somebody else's spin on it. I want to hear his, and so that's the main reason I don't watch. It's not like hatred or frustration or anything like that. I just want to hear it from George. So I imagine when it's done, I will probably watch it at some point. So the second half of of Beth's question is: If you had to bet on a character to survive a song of ice and fire, who would you choose and why, Matt? Who would you choose and why? Ah, <sighs> giving this some thought. And the fact of the matter is you just don't know. You just don't know with this guy, Gurm. Um, You know, someone who I think has the metal to make it through, uh, both in terms of kind of she she gets people. She knows how to she knows how to make friends and and keep them and people like her. And I also also think that she is physically capable and resourceful enough to survive. So. My my pick is Asha Greyjoy is going to survive A Song of Ice and Fire. Good pick. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I was going to say Braun just because Braun <laughs> just sur- he's a survivor, but I always say Braun. Yeah. 
And I realized I just did again. You, you just But my did. first pick, and, and that was the first thing that came to my mind, and I was like, I'm going to go with Braun. But I was like, no, I always pick Braun. Think he's, of someone different. He's a bit of a survivor. So. I, I like your Asha pick, though. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, she's got the King's Blood thing working against her, maybe. Somebody might choose to sacrifice her. Um, <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. But you're right. She's very she might not even make it past the first half of Winds of Winter. <laughs> she might bite it in the opening chapter of Winter. But but I also I do like the answer. It's uh, it's a bit cheeky. I like it. Okay. Uh, so I I picked I, I did have two answers here. One of them kind of like a sarcastic answer of Dolorous Ed, uh, because he's hey. he's not lucky enough to die. Right. He's gonna live <laughs> through all of it. Uh, he can never be that fortunate. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so he's he's one answer, and and my other answer is is Arya. I feel, I feel mm. like the journey she's gone through doesn't really end in death. Uh, it ends in growth and reuniting with with her identity. And I could be wrong about that, but I I feel I feel like she's not on a path towards death. Of all the Stark kids, I'd put my money on her to yeah. survive. Good yeah. pick. Good. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, all right, we're gonna start in on then on the next section, which I called the faith and the brewing conflict surrounding intermarriage. I've got a little quote to kick that off. Straight from the text, from 11 A.C. to 37 A.C., six high septons wore the crystal crown. His grace remained on good terms with each of them, calling it the starry sept each time he came to Old Town. Yet the question of incestuous marriage remained, simmering below the courtesies like a poison. So, the faith is a bit tricky uh, in, in this, uh, the faith of the seven. They bowed to the dragon and agreed to his terms, right, when, when Aegon was taking over. But Aegon was one thing, and his, his sons are, are another. And this was the, the, whole, the whole cultural tone that the Targaryens bring. Uh, of you know keeping it in the family and keeping the bloodlines pure it's just it was never really going to work well with the seven these marriages are bad according to the faith right they're really bad mm-hmm. the fact that it took 37 years to come to a head frankly is a little bit surprising <laughs> you know it's not it's not that different than if you think about um in in a song of ice and fire when the night's watch allows the free folk to come through the wall and they make them give up their gods. Like we talked about that a lot when that during that chapter, Matt. I don't know if you remember, but like making people give up their gods is a big deal. And this is something mm-hmm. the you know this incest thing is something that is important enough to that faith that it's tough for people to just let go. Right. And so this this serves as a it's just shaky footing for this whole Targaryen dynasty to begin on, right? And it's tough. It's, it's tough for them to manage throughout. Yeah, Aegon. I don't know. It's pure charisma or intimidation or a bit of both. Yeah, was able to pull it off. But then, like you said, that's shaky because that allowance or that sort of acceptance is built on the foundation of a person and that person is not going to last forever, which means that the next person has to be able to equally be able to charm or intimidate 
as does the one after him and the one after him. Mm-hmm. And that's tricky, man. Yeah. That's awful tricky. So I agree that's shaky. There's very also, shaky. There's also something to be said for, you know, I mean, th- this is a, this conflict between the faith and the crown is a central component to, to the Sons of the Dragon. It's It's on, you know, nearly every other page. Uh, it's brought up in some way. And I think part of it is because partially they sensed weakness like you're talking about. The the new king did not have the charisma and the power and the strength and the, you know, just the way about him to dominate and and convince the faith that it was okay. But also because, you know, in the, in the little backroom discussions, I think the most devout are like, okay, we made an exception for the first one because dragons and fire and blood and we didn't want to be demolished and all these things, but we have to put our foot down now. If we don't put our foot down now, we never can. <laughs> we, can we, we never can. Mm-hmm. It then becomes, you know, if, you, if it happens once, it's, it's, it's a one-off. If it happens three times and you just allow it, it's precedent. And the people become used to it, and they're like, oh, well, you know, you guys said it was okay before. Why is it not okay now? Right? Right. And so I feel like they almost had to they were kind of backed into a corner. If they didn't put their foot down on these these uh, incestuous marriages now, they never could, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, there's the line in there that's familiarity is the father of acceptance. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Aegon did a few things. He uh, honored the faith. He uh, They were tax-exempt. Yes. Under Under his rule. Yep. Um, he allowed them to do everything they wanted to do and he ended up getting along with all those high septons. But yeah, at, at some point, you know, you got to stick to your guns as a religion or else it was that same point that you made about an indecisive leader. If you are a religion that does not stick to and be convict in your own doctrine, that you can't inspire the confidence of believers, right? Yeah. Who you are asking to share that conviction. So, yeah. I wonder if things would have been different had Aegon gotten to the point of marrying son with daughter. Because offspring was not an issue. It was just the marriages. And they came in and conquered as as him with his wives. Um, But offspring wasn't an issue for Aegon as he just had the two sons. Yeah. But I wonder if things would have gotten hairier well, had like, he had a daughter who he married to a son. Right. So the so the faith initially kind of started putting their foot down when Visenya proposed that Mayhor mm-hmm. marry Ray, Rayena, right? Mm-hmm. And that's so hard. Rayena. <laughs> so... So that that's when they first said, "Hey, whoa, wait a minute! No, 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 no! That's not okay. We that's abomination. Not okay." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if Aegon had lived to that point, would they've been like, if, if, well, these, uh, "Okay, fine, right?" Right. Yeah. Now, in this yeah. case, you know, Anus uh, and uh, Alyssa both didn't want that that uh, marriage either. Durana to make uh-huh. but but had Aegon lived to see it, maybe they would have capitulated. I don't know. 
So that was the first one. Then the church hated Aegon Aegon Tyrannia as well, right? That was so, that was the that was the that was the beast, man. Right. That was the one that kind of well, because they actually pursued it, right? Uh yeah. and, and did it. They called it an obscenity. Yes. Children born would be an abomination. Yes. And um you know, were they? No. They weren't, right? I mean, right. The, the, well, we'll get to their we'll get to their story a little bit later, uh, but their children, uh, Area and Rayella, uh-huh. if I remember right, lots of lots of R names here. Rays, Rays and A's. Yep. Uh, Rays and A's. They're Rays they're a's. a pretty sad story, really, because they're born. Oh, they're, they're born. Their timing is just awful in being born, and they never really get to live live lives that of, of their own choosing of any kind it's it's sad Ugh, but yes. but anyway i mean they, they for sure weren't abominations um but uh yeah so I, I think the church this had to come to a head they weren't gonna they weren't gonna just sit by and, and let it be this way forever or they would you know start to their see their power kind of start to fade away so they had to um but you know it, it is interesting that the people kind of came along for the ride with them they bought it, right? They right. they they bought that line, uh, you know, all the way. Abomination. These are not okay. Mm-hmm. Bad. Do you think? Do you think the faith also had a little bit of an ulterior motive of, uh, okay, we had to bow to Aegon, but we don't want this to last. We want to be the ultimate power in the land. Yeah, there's definitely a power struggle going on. Yeah. So it's not just the, the more we can thing, discredit the Targaryens. Yeah. yeah, I don't even know that they wanted to necessarily supplant the king. Maybe they understood the importance of having a king, in sense of uniting the people and stuff like that. Yeah, they just wanted to be more powerful than the king. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that for another time. A high do you now? Perhaps. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on on the uh, the faith and this this conflict surrounding intermarriage? Not yet. All right. That's well, let's uh, probably come. We'll, we'll come up later. It will for sure. Well, let's uh, let's move on. We got another question from the Kalisar here. This is from uh, Warden Josh. Um, there was a report out earlier this week about the tone of the Mandalorian being more in tune with the original trilogy. Do you guys have thoughts on that and what you'd like to see from not only that series, but also the one featuring Cassie and Andor? Uh, Matt, you want to kick off an answer on this one? Yeah, so the Mandalorian being uh, the new television show about, I'm guessing the Mandalorian, is is it going to be about Boba Fett specifically or about the Mandalorian group as a whole? Do you know anything? No, I, it can't be about, about Boba Fett. Well, uh, depending on what you believe about Boba Fett, it, because it takes place after uh, Jedi. Right. Which in the Legends novels... right. Depends on you know you the, tr- <laughs> the the one true doctrine of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Boba Fett lives. Right. Come, he comes crawling out of that sarlacc. Um. But 
there's a whole group of these of this fighting kind of society that's very warrior based yeah. called the Mandalorians and they all kind of they're they're all kind of different and unique and they have like these customized costumes and st- I shouldn't say costumes but uniforms armor. that armor yeah that all look kind of different but have some similarities like that kind of slit t-shaped thing that boba fett has in his visor they all kind of have kind of that same shape um just as just as jango fett and boba fett's armor was different they see these different ones and they've been around for forever as long as the jedi and the sith have been around almost according to the legends uh so there's a lot of cool different directions that that the story could go even if it wasn't just about boba fett uh and yeah, you know, I like Star Wars, so I'd be down with with giving it a shot. That being said, I'm I haven't been sitting around on pins and needles reading everything about it, as you can tell, and waiting for it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, could be cool. Yeah, I mean, I have some similar thoughts. So first of all, just regarding a la carte TV. So, uh, you know, this this is a series that's that they're using kind of as a launch pad for the Disney Network, right? It's the Disney the, streaming service. The Disney streaming service, right. The, the Disney Netflix. Yes, the Disney Flicks. Flixney? I don't know. Um mm. but uh Disflex? <laughs> this sense of a la carte TV is something that I I called for and was begging for over a decade ago. Uh you know, get rid of cable and these costs and, you know, let us pay for the things that we want and uh now it's here and I'm like, I'm not paying for that. So there's so many, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's so just, there's many. Yeah. So I don't know whether I'll end up getting the Disney one, you know, with all the Marvel content probably going there too. I think I read, um, maybe I'll have to, I don't know, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, Disney usually makes great content. So I might end up going over there. I, as for the series itself, uh, you know, I never got huge erections from Mandalorian culture or even my mm-hmm. normal small sized ones. Uh, from Boba or Django or any of that culture, really. It just never did a lot for me when they covered it in uh, in Clone Wars. I wasn't a huge fan either. I do, though, love the kind of the lone gunfighter with the heart of gold trope, which is, I've heard what they're kind of going for. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So, you know, it might hook me that way if it's kind of like a Monster of the Week kind of thing, kind of like a Firefly thing where there's like a little adventure for this guy to do as he wanders into a new saloon every week. You know, I might be I might be down with that. I mean, as with everything, it's it's all about characters. We've said this a billion times in this podcast. John Favreau is one of my favorite creators. I trust him a yes, lot. Absolutely. Yep. Um. So I'm excited. So is he? He's doing. He, that's the show that he's doing is the Mandalorian. Yeah, he's producing it. So okay. Because I knew he was doing a Star Wars series. Yeah, he's producing the Mandalorian. Okay. Um. So I'm excited for that for, from that perspective. And specifically to the question that Josh asked, it's more in line with the original trilogy. Great news. Love to hear that. I love the original trilogy. I would trust Favreau loves the original trilogy and wants to head that direction too. For sure. Also, though, that statement could just be marketing ease for, hey, Favreau, try to distance yourself a little bit from episode nine, right? Because (laughs) whether whether you liked episode nine or not, you have to... You have to agree that it was contentious a little bit in the fans with the fans, and so they might just be episode eight. To you mean? That. Sorry, episode eight. Yes, sorry. Okay. It's like, have yeah. you seen something I haven't? <laughs> what have I missed? God, I wish. Uh, <laughs> regarding the other series, um, less excited. I mean, we know less, but 
Diego Luna was Me not too. one of my favorite parts of Rogue One. He was okay. Um, mm-hmm. Spy stuff has never really been my bag. I'm not a Bond guy. I don't, you know, I don't really get get into the spy stuff a lot. So I'm a little more conscious with that one. How about you, Matt? Same. Uh, Cassian Andor. Cassian Andor was a great character. I really liked him a lot. And you know how I feel about Rogue One. I thought Diego did a great job. Um, but yeah, compared to other things within the Star Wars universe that maybe I'd like to see, Rogue Squadron, uh, I'm not quite as interested in in the stories of Cassian Andor. Now, they could go some fun directions. You know, in Rogue One, they talk about he mentions when he's got kind of his group of guys that are going to join with Jin. He talks about how all of them have done these terrible things that they regret in the yeah. name of the rebellion. And so in that sense, you know, filling in that side of the story a little bit and, and making him out to be kind of this anti-hero, maybe Punisher type guy. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, if, there if could rate, be something if, intriguing in that. But. Totally. If they rate the thing R and put some heavy drama in there and make it like a, an adult show... I'm mm-hmm. all in. I just don't sense that that's what they're going to do. Yeah, but if you're making kind of a young adult fiction version of it where he's this yeah. guy who has to make these terrible choices, but they talk about how he has to make these terrible choices, but in the end he always ends up making the right choice, right? Yeah. It's 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 not quite as fun, but I want to see a Walter White type character, you know? I want to see this guy who's stuck between two bad choices and has to make the bad choice you know the human conscience uh, in uh what is it in in conflict conflict with itself right i think that's Mm -hmm. that's one of george's thing i mean it's one of george's favorite things i think didn't he say that's the only thing worth writing about or something yeah yeah somebody said that if if you can pull that off with cassian i'll be watching for sure yeah okay uh josh hope we did that question uh did that question well for you. All right, let's move on. Revolts in the Kingdom. Matt. Yeah, so once Aegon died in 37, Aenys took over. And like we talked about, the guy just wanted to do a good job. Yeah. He wanted things to be cool, you know? Just let's keep the good times rolling. But it wasn't to be, right? Skad, do you have a, a quote for this one? Well, it is, it is the same quote you said earlier. It's very simple. I would have heard them out. Which is a good summary for all of these conflicts, <laughs> I think. Let's just review them a little bit. So yeah. in Heron Hall, you had Heron the Red. Uh, he came out and, and had a tough time. By the time Aenys got to him, everyone was dead at Heron Hall. And Heron the Red was not there anymore. And, you know. Uh, they ended up, you know, uh, what was it? Aenys ended up sending out Alan Stokeworth, his hand, to track down Heron, which he did. Aenys ended up sending his family to Dragonstone because he was so worried about him. So it was, it was a problem. Um, what did we have? Uh, what other things we have, Scad? Oh, they had problems in the Vale with Brother Jonas imprisoning Brother Ronald, declaring himself king. Um, this is where... Uh, uh, I mean, the Royces came in and, and tried to take care of this problem with the Aarons. Um, and then Magor came in and mopped things up for him, right? Mm-hmm. Magor f- flew in on Valerian, landed at the Eyrie. Because, of course, the Royces had kind of done everything they could. But once they get to the Eyrie, you know from reading A Song of Ice and Fire proper that you can't – you just can't take the Eyrie. Yep. 
you can if you have a dragon. So Magor shows up, lands at the Eyrie, executes all the rebels. We're good. So right. thanks, Magor. Just like Visenya had done uh, when she took uh, the little errand boy, Ronald, around on the dragon, right? Um, a ride. Her son went and did the same thing, except instead put the entire garrison to, the, to in, you know, shot them out the moon door. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, they mentioned kind of tragically that Ronald Aaron flew twice, once on the dragon and once through the moon door when Jonas threw him out of there. It's kind of right. sad, but Poor little guy. you had a rebellion at the Iron Islands, Lodos the twice drowned, who declared himself the son of the drowned god. Goran Greyjoy did the king of solid and put put down that whole insurrection. Aenys, uh, being a, Aenys gonna Aenys. Yeah. He offered, he offered Goran Greyjoy any boon he pleased. Give you whatever you want. Thank you for doing me this solid. He's always doing more for, for them than they do for him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Goran asked for all of the seps and s- septons and septas and seps and everything to do with the faith to be, uh, expulsed from the Iron Islands. Yeah. Which Aenys was sad to do, but he had to keep his word. Um, and then finally, we had the Vulture King down in Dorne. He yeah. wanted vengeance on the Targaryens. And although the leader in Dorne, Princess Daria, Daria, Darier, she, she publicly denounced the Vulture King. There's some suspicion that maybe she was secretly kind of supporting him. Uh, but this was a big one, hey? Yeah. At its largest, the Vulture King commanded around 30k. So yeah. the Dornish man, they are they are tough to deal with. I uh, in general all of these all of these rebellions are a little bit tough to deal with. So you've mm-hmm. got just kind of in order, you know, you've got Heron the Red who you know, puts all these people to the sword at, at Heron Hall and then just kind of disappears into the Riverlands to like take cover. Tough to root people out in the Riverlands. Lots of you know, foresty areas and, you know, can lose themselves in the river, their tracks and things like that. I mean, there's just a lot of, a lot of ways to hide there. You've got then the veil, this mountain fastness that you can't really even assault, right? He thought about sending ships to try to go do that. But in honesty, to me, his inaction probably saved him a bunch of trouble on that one. Um, you know, because they would have done the same thing that, that the Royces did. They would have sat at the bottom of the mountain and done nothing until a dragon came, right? So... Uh, so that's that's really difficult to deal with. The Iron Islands are forever the fuck away. I mean, you you are at least a month of travel by ship just to get there from King's Landing, right? If something goes wrong, it's at least a month to send aid or send somebody out to fix the problem. And l- unless you get Westermen or Riverlanders to help, you know, with their with their fleets, you're screwed, right? It takes forever to get out there and respond to, to that to that threat. And then the Vulture King way down in Dorne, we know the Dornish can just kind of melt into the sands and into the hills. They do it all yeah. the time. It's just, these these were very spread out rebellions. It's almost like they were working together. They're very spread out rebellions that were very difficult to put down. And combine that with Aeneas's inability or, you know, lack of desire to, to go deal with them, what you had was lords dealing with them themselves. And... Frankly, I don't, <laughs> I don't think people liked it. it you know, the, like 
they swear allegiance to the king, and the king's supposed to protect them and deal with certain sorts of things, and he just didn't. He left it on their doorstep, right? Yeah. He, they said he called a council to figure out how to deal with the rebels. Yeah. Like, well, I guess the Royces are like, all right, I guess we'll, we'll, just, we'll just do this. Yeah. And then, of course, everyone else, too. But I, I, All over. Uh, I mean, it, Savage Sam Tarly yeah. uh, and, and several others tried to end the Dornish conflict with, uh, I think it was... Uh, was it Rogar Baratheon? Um, it was Oris. What was Oris. it? Oh, yeah, Oris Baratheon. Oris Baratheon and Harmon Dondarrion. Right. Um, you know, Savage so... Sam Tarly. Isn't yeah, that great? That's funny. Thinking yeah. about Sam the Slayer. Yeah, I, there's a few things in here where you're you're dealing with similar names of people in the, the main series. Yeah. And Savage Sam uh-huh. is one of them. You wonder if it's painting an allusion to something that we might see later. Uh, of course, yeah. Well, you know, will Sam will Sam get Heartsbane somehow? Will he? Yeah, we I, do know Savage Sam, type, but yeah. yeah, Savage Sam went around wielding Heartsbane, and yeah, he uh, he was pretty savage with how he dealt with the Vulture King. Once they caught him, tied him naked between two posts, and just let him die. Yeah, the story is that the vultures tore tore the vulture king apart, but uh, the historians say that was probably embellishment that they waited mm-hmm. until he died to eat him like normal. Right. Either way, pretty yeah. awful. Um, you know, it's like the uh, Daedalus, is it? He's uh, sitting on top of the mountain and gets gets eaten every day. Or oh yeah, forgot about that guy. Wonder how he's doing. Uh, probably in pain. Yeah, about the same. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think, I think, I think these lords like they dealt with it, and they're like, oh, fine. But they probably resented Anus for it from then on, right? Like, totally. Do your job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in a society that values that. Yeah. The, the martial prowess is the thing. We talked about this with Duncan Egg. You know, as good a singer as he was and as good, you know, entertaining a room as he was and all these things, if you can't fight as a man, you're, you, you are a man of lesser value yeah. in this society. And whether that's right or wrong, that's the way it was. So. Yep, yep. And, you know, you don't even have to fight yourself. If you can show backbone in the way you handle problems... I yeah. think they'll even give you a pass on the actual fighting part. I mean, we've talked about that with Tywin Lannister. How many yeah. times have we seen him in the field? Right, lead him from, right. Lead him from the back, yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, and and one, you already mentioned a little bit, but one, you know, major, major outcome from, from these revolts is that the Hand of the King did die, and um, it, it had Magor promoted, if you will, to Hand of the King. Which was yeah. one of the major impacts of this. Due to his his uh his effectiveness at the veil. It's an interesting choice of words. Effectiveness. <laughs> I mean he solved the problem, but he was brutal. He sure did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And Magor knows that he knows that the kingdom kind of looks for that, right? And that he would probably gain a little bit of respect for doing that. And yeah, that may be respect born of fear. Yes, he gets yeah. he gets the respect born of fear, but that is a 
that is a bell curve of sorts and we'll we'll get to that later sure um brutality gets you gets you somewhere and then it only gets you so far yeah yeah you know Amy's may have had the right idea when he said we'll rule this realm together yeah. If they could have just found a way to coexist together, mm-hmm. they could have probably been the perfect king. But yeah. it's never that easy. Uh, yep. I mean, it's it's the same. We I mean, we talked about it in the open section. That it's the the both sides of the same coin thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we hear that with the Targaryen madness, which is not really what I'm referring to, but you get it in all sorts of media. Uh, the girl who would be king. My sister's a wonderful novel. Uh, <gasps> you get you know the two sides of of this of this coin if they were just you know together they'd be fine right if um you know it's all over in in our media right of people that are opposites that if they work together they'd be just fine but they can't right mm-hmm. and because they're so opposite. because right because they're so opposite and yeah i don't i, don't, I think Megor wanted nothing to do with it and anus did not have the charisma or chops to make him want to do it right so anyway uh, and then we did we did have one more kind of not not exactly attached to these other revolts, but the Faith Militant Uprising, which is by far the most important revolt that kind of occurred in these books. Oh boy! And be, because it was this is this is a, a, re, a revolt that kind of took the people, you know, by their heartstrings and they followed it for good, right? There are there's battle after battle after conflict after conflict in this book in this Sons of the Dragon section between uh, the Crown and the Faith, and there's just name after name that comes up, uh, and and the people seem unified behind all of them. Septon Moon, Sir Joffrey Doggett, Poxy Jane, Watt the Hewer. There's just random warrior sons everywhere, and they're all unified behind this communicated ideal, right, of kind of revolt against these abominations, and it, this is by far kind of the biggest the biggest revolt that they have to deal with right and yeah and longest lasting yes. yeah Most staying <sighs> and man it just kind of again bringing it back to song of ice and fire and we talked about this a little bit already in our previous episodes but cersei is nuts to bring them back she needs to read sons of the dragon because it should serve her a warning it just doesn't work. No, and and every reader, this should serve a huge warning to for what is coming in A Song of Ice and Fire mm-hmm. with the faith and the position it's in now because they're not going to sit by. Yeah, you cannot have a militant group of a large size that is well-funded like these people would be that you have no control over. And they're, You and just they're, can't. And they're driven by something more than just a charismatic leader. There's conviction there's, there. There is conviction of a god behind them, right? Mm-hmm. You can see it in a in a, in a man like oh geez, I've forgotten his name, uh, little Lannister bumpkin, Lancel, a guy like Lancel who was kind of adrift and not convicted to, you know, didn't have much conviction toward anything, and all of a sudden he's he he's finds Jesus. Better. He found he found something to drive him, and he's in. He's all in. Mm-hmm. He is a microcosm for thousands of people in the realm that are feeling the same way now that they can be empowered that way, mm-hmm. right? Anyway, Song anyway. of Ice and Fire, everybody, check it out. 
Yeah, if you haven't read them, there's five books. They're pretty good. I feel so separated from those characters now. I do too. We've spent so much time in Duncan Egg and now in this Targaryen stuff. You know, I kind of miss. I I had to, I kind of miss our classics. I literally slapped myself the other day, Matt, because I was like, I should read A Song of Ice and Fire again. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to, I literally slapped myself. I was like, No, you idiot! Just finished that. <laughs> that whole project you're not doing it right now uh, i wonder how long i'll hold out though oh yeah i hear you buddy it's just too much fun so uh let's see i did have so i w- i watched the big lebowski again because i found it was going off of netflix so oh, you gotta watch it yeah, so it was it was a laundry night viewing mm-hmm. and this this quote stuck this the the dude this stuck with me with Anies and I could totally picture like Anies saying this just like the dude where he's like this will not stand you know this aggression will not stand man <laughs> this aggression will not stand man and he's like saying it but he's so just like oh I just want to get back to dudin around and he's like you know like this aggression will not stand man <laughs> and Anyways, that's zero. 80s to me. But... <laughs> that's my favorite part of that movie. Market zero. And then they just go back. And then he pulls out the gun. Yes. <sighs> Do a firearm in league play. <laughs> Will not stand, man. <sighs> I've watched that that's movie. That's 80s for you. Yeah. It's uh, so weird. But Yes, it is very weird. Uh, it's it's totally buoyed up by two fantastic characters. Oh, what's her name? Uh, oh, jeez, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. Uh, her name in the show is Maud. Yes, her. Oh my gosh, what's her name? She's like a super famous. Yeah, actor. she's super famous. Sorry, Kalasar, we suck today. People are screaming at us right now. Yeah. I know it. Yeah, we know you know it. All right, we, we know. know you know. <laughs> uh. Walter is who I'm thinking. John Goodman's John character. John Goodman, who's fantastic. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, the dude himself. Anyways, um, we can talk about the children of Amy's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Come, let's sit and reason. This will all work out. I see it. And it doesn't have to be like this, my friend. And it doesn't have to be like this I love my wife, I love my kids It shouldn't have to be like this The realm was made for peace, not fits Any Any So i got a little quote for this So we're going to talk about the children and death of Aenys Targaryen Here's your quote the affection between Rayana and Aegon was well known, and neither raised any objection to the marriage. Indeed, there is much to suggest that both had been anticipating just such a partnership since they had first played together in the nurseries of Dragonstone and the Aegon Fort. So, Rayana and Aegon have... Uh, they, they're, <laughs> they're the first two, right? Uh, and they grow up together. Rain is first. So she spent, she liked to spend time with her, her siblings, with pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kept close companionship with several ladies over the years. We'll get, we'll get more into that a little bit later. Um, 
but her most important relationship for sure was with her dragon Dreamfire, and that's something that she she's with that dragon through thick and thin through her whole life. Um, she was kind of she was fierce in moments, like she had she had backbone to her. She was not a, a weak woman by any stretch, but she was kind of I don't know. I felt like she was kind of um hamstrung a little bit in her decisions and and how she acted in some cases because of the timing of of her children and the timing of when her when when Aeneas died um she was adamant she had some rough cards man she did she had some very rough cards for this section of history that we're covering in this book she spends a lot of her time just hiding around hiding away from the faith Mm -hmm. or from her uncle or both um and eventually marries marries him as one of the Black Brides. But a good relationship with Aegon. Uh, Aegon, the, the second child of Aenys and Lyssa. And uh, Aegon, between he and his brother Viserys, uh, perhaps the saddest case of missed potential to me. Uh, there's yeah, a little section sure. in there that, where they talk about he's the very image of the Conqueror. So we talked before about, you know, we have Aegon who's like this peak... We have Aenys and Megor, who are kind of these valleys, and this guy looks like he could have been a peak. He was known as the best young lance in the kingdom. He was loved by the ladies. He became a dragon rider a little late, but in crunch time, he figured it out when he needed to, right? He's kind of a gamer, Mm -hmm. I think. He drew men to his cause despite the long odds of, you know, facing the largest dragon in the world. You know, I mean, he he was, his, his, his effort was kind of doomed from the start. But he gave it a go anyway. I feel like Aegon is a gamer. And it's just mm-hmm. too bad, kind of like Rana, like just bad timing, bad circumstances, and just didn't really get his shot. Right? And what can you say other than that? Um, you know, we talked yeah, about Yeah, isn't that sad to think of how history could have been different? Yeah. Had the timing been adjusted just a little bit. And had Visenya and Megor not been dicks, but we'll get to that. Um <laughs> So the the next child, Viserys, uh, promising. So he was kept as a hostage by Magor after um, you know after rebellions and things happened. He was like, oh, I'm going to keep this one around, so he doesn't get involved in and foment any more rebellion. Um, Why don't you come to court and be my squire? Exactly. You know, so you can learn the tricks of the trade. But unlike most hostages that we see, Daenerys, I'm looking at you. Megor actually used this hostage. So when Alyssa uh, ran off with with Viserys's younger siblings, Megor had him tortured to death, uh, saying, "Perhaps the bitch will show up for her for his funeral." Right, and yeah. again, this was he was a very promising young guy. The kingdom loved him. Looked like he had a lot of potential. Tortured and murdered. Um, Died in the black cells. Died in the black cells uh, at the hands of Tyanna, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, the next the next child, Jaehaerys, uh, fourteen at Megor's death, he was made king at the end of Megor's rule. We don't get a lot about him in this section. Tons more to come about him in future parts oh, of Iron Blood. Oh boy! Some of the best yeah. parts of that book. Um, uh, his younger sister, Alisan, a child of twelve at Megor's death. And then their youngest sister, Viola, who died in infancy. infancy. So uh, she died two years into her father's reign. We don't, we don't really get much about her, obviously. But um, those are the kids. Um, 
you know, I don't know that there's a lot to say about some of them. Um, Aegon and Rhaenyra were very close. They flew together all the time. So even though Aegon wasn't himself a dragon rider with his own dragon, he would go up with Rhaenyra quite a bit. Um, Jaehaerys and Viserys, I think, were close. Um, he when, when Jaehaerys took over, uh, this is the very end of Sons of the Dragon, he offered clemency to basically the whole realm. He basically said, okay, I forgive you, just swear fealty and let's let's heal let's let the healing let's begin. move forward together yeah uh, as as they say and as matt damon famously says in uh yep that movie that i forget the name of the title to all the time you are struggling tonight i am i, I am look at them apples goodwill hunting uh <laughs> that's it yeah. let the healing begin so he wants the healing to begin but he does not he does not pardon viserys torturers he kills them so I, that that little nugget gives me a hint that that he was very close with Viserys, who's his younger brother or his older brother. Um, so then, just I guess a quick note on, well, I don't know, anything to add about the relationships on the kids? Uh, not so much on the kids, but uh, did you already point out that by all accounts, Aenys and Alyssa had quite a happy marriage? You know what? No, uh, I didn't talk about it, and you're right. Really. One, they're a big happy family, and I wonder if that added a little bit to the resentment of uh, of Magor and maybe even Visenya too. Yeah, that things were just great. The kids got along. Alyssa and Aenys were very loving. Uh, obviously, they didn't have any trouble conceiving and having yeah. kids, which of course Magor did. Beautiful kids. And... Alyssa was a Valerian. Um, yeah. Uh, so a, a family very close to the Targaryens, yeah. kind of lineage wise i suppose um, right but yeah they, you're right they it seems like they had a very state you don't get a lot of detail about it but devoted to each other um seems like um you know she certainly stood by her children through thick and thin um, oh did she yeah so all right yeah um on on anus's passing i mean this guy again just kind of as a like a metaphor for his life it seems like he kind of died of being stressed out and incapable of dealing with his problems. There's a, th you know, people think maybe he was murdered by Visenya. Um, what do you think? Uh, I could see it. I, I, I think Visenya, not out of like, not out of like spite or anger from Visenya. I get, with Visenya, I get the sense that she's just like frustrated. From, like, the moment Mayor is born, she's just frustrated because, in her mind, Aeonis is weak and doesn't deserve to be in charge. And she's just living a life of frustration from, like, like that moment on. And she's seeing his inability to act and deal with the faith. She even su suggests to him that he get on his dragon mm -hmm. and fucking take care of this. And he yep. won't. And and I, so I, I could see her just, fine, poison. Right, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just, but... does point out that she took over his care when yes. he was sick. Yep, and he seemed to get better until all of a sudden he wasn't. Very crafty from Visenya, right? Make him get better yeah. first, and then they can't point any fingers at me. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't know if I believe it or not. I, I, I think I, I think I kind of tend tend to believe it. I think so too. But I, I wonder I, if a little I... weed might have just de-stressed him a little bit, so he could have lived longer. He was yeah. 35 years old, yeah, man. Yeah, I'd, I'd be dead. Yeah. I mean, 35. That's young. And that's a that's a ton of stress. Yeah. 
Um, I got a question for you sure. on this note. Yep. Just because it's on the family note. Mm-hmm. With how brutal and vicious and, as I said, effective and efficient Magor was in dispatching his enemies, why didn't he just, as king, take care of his brother's family? And I mean taking care, wiping them out. Oh. Uh, hmm. Why did he allow Alyssa to live and everything? He was so brutal and just killing everyone else, he didn't care. Yeah. Why not kill Alyssa and the rest of her family and everything? Well, I, there's a, a few things, and I don't know whether Megor himself would have been bothered by by this or not. But he's already he's already looked down upon by the faith. The faith does not like kinslaying, uh, and this would have put him, you know, more black marks, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, which he doesn't seem to care too much about the black marks. Well, no, he doesn't. This is, you know, these are ex- kind of extreme black marks, right? Killing your family. Um, okay. You know, it doesn't seem to bother him when he does it with Viserys in the end, but he's pretty far gone mm-hmm. by that point, um, I think. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know that I have a great answer for you. It seems like it seems like very well he he could have done that. Right. Part of it may maybe he, there was a little logic bone in his body that's like, I do need an heir. Like, I don't want the Targaryens to lose control of this thing. I want one for myself, but I better just keep these guys around, just in case, until I've got my own. That's the only conclusion I came to. Got to keep the mom around because she's proven to be fertile. And that's all he sees is fertile or not, I think, uh, unfortunately. And keep a few of the kids around so that we've got something there. But that's all I could think about because it does seem like they were a threat to him. And whenever you know, I mentioned before, how did he deal with difficulties or threats to him with fire and blood every yeah. time? And so I found it interesting that uh, even at his coronation, Alyssa and the kids flew away. They they kind of fled, justifiably worried about what would happen to them to um, before his coronation. Yep. And it said that Magor gave a shrug like that. I have that in quotes. That's exactly what he did. He gave a shrug when he found out that they left. Yeah. All I, right. I, they, while you call them threats, to some degree, I think Magor is arrogant enough not to think that he has many threats. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later. Balerion is the great equalizer of all problems. I think, <laughs> I think to some degree, every problem Magor has, at some point he goes in his head and he's like, well, I could just have Balerion eat them. You know, like, uh, like I think he's not threatened by a lot of people because he knows he always has that ace in the hole. And they know that, too. And they know it, too. And so it kind of keeps it keeps everyone in line, the faith included, and we'll get to more of that later. But so there's there's that, too. I, th- I think he's just while we think they're a threat and he might even acknowledge them in the back of his mind that they are a threat to his role. He's not really worried about them. They are young, too. I mean. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. just kids. Viserys and Alisan. Yeah, they're they're just kids, yeah. and Viserys he's got control over basically in his kind of in his grasp. So you know, maybe he just wasn't that worried. Yeah. <sighs> it would appear so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. You want to read the next question from the next Blood Rider? I do. I sure do. Okay, this is from a question from a longtime Blood Rider who we love, Julie. Who you Hello, will Julie. meet at Ice and Fire Con. 
Yes, she's going. She I'm so excited. Yep. Uh, are you guys believers in the A plus J equals T theory? Uh, for those not familiar, A plus J equals T is Aries plus Joanna equals Tyrion. Oh, uh, if I so, thought it was Aegon it, plus John. Equal, never mind. Oh, that could be fun. <laughs> equals Tyana. Uh, Ty, equals. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If so, any guesses on how it would be revealed? Um, let's answer that. Then she's got some follow-up questions. Couple follow-ups. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so what do you, what do you think about this this uh, Aries Aries plus Joanna theory? Yeah, commonly called the Tyrion Targaryen theory. Um, yeah, and I think Aziz came up with that, didn't he? I think that's his theory originally. Maybe anyway. Unfortunately, I don't know. Um, I I don't know if I'm a believer in the theory. I think I've said on this podcast before. I like it. I think it's fun. I don't know if I believe mm-hmm. it. I could see, I could see how it could be, you know, given like the three three riders of the dragon, three heads of the dragon thing. I could definitely see it being true. I don't know if I don't know if I I don't know if I believe it or not. Um, how it would come out is interesting. I haven't thought a lot about that before. Um, you know, Joanna, Tywin, and Ares are all dead. So is Kevbo. You know, two of those people have been dead for a long time. Tywin isn't big on sharing. I don't know if anybody even knows. Right? If it ends up being true, it might never be confirmed other than through Tyrion riding a dragon and us kind of like assuming, right? You know, some sort of some sort of literary hint that isn't known by the characters but is George telling us, right? The readers. Mm-hmm. You've always got the all knowing Bran. True. Good point. But I know the how you love Bran. that answer. I but... fucking yep. Where would that? <laughs> solves all problems. <laughs> Yeah, it's the Balerion of a song of ice and fire. Invention is the <laughs> yes. Invention is the mother of all necessity. Thank, thank goodness for that. Where would net? Now we need to solve yeah. everything. Yeah. It, it, so that's that's your thoughts. That's my thoughts. Nothing ground groundbreaking. I know. Um, I don't think I'm more groundbreaking than you. Uh, it's got some fun components to it, like you said. You know, Tyrion's. Tyrion's platinum blonde hair, his infatuation with dragons, um, Tywin telling Tyrion, you're no son of mine, and, and some of those things he says. Uh, and Ares did seem to have a gross thing for Joanna. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Here's where I'm at with just about every theory, Scab. And I hate to sound... Jaded. I hate to sound too apathetic or jaded, but I just don't care. Let's wait and see, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I just—I'll repeat it, guys, and I'm sorry, but I just don't care. Uh, it's fun to theorize, and I get it, and I totally don't look down on people who do theorize. I've done plenty of it myself back in the day, but I—I'm at this point in my individual fandom where I just—I don't care anymore. I just want to wait and see, and I'm fine waiting and seeing. I'm fine hearing the theories. I'm fine going, yeah, that might that, that could be fun. Yeah, whatever. But uh, I'm just at a wait and see point. I get and that's that. how I, I feel about it. To me, so it takes it takes some sort of uh, 
festering question you know with within me to, to drive me to to care about theories and uh a lot of those questions have been th- they're so old that they're no longer festering right so i get <laughs> you know what They've i mean just like been around for, right yeah. so i get what you mean like like i've been really intrigued by the whole high tower thing recently which is why i'm doing that panel uh just because that that question has been bubbling up inside of me since i don't know feast or I don't know, sometime when we were doing our read-through, it started bubbling up, and it's just kind of, with Fire and Blood, some things that I read in there just kind of have, have just prompted me to, to really think a lot about it more. Oh, sure. Yeah, and so, you so I, and you think about it, it's fun. But it comes mm-hmm. in phases. I remember uh, Beefish, I think, wrote something a while ago, like maybe it was a year and a half ago now, where he was like, guys... I'm not going to write theories and stuff anymore. And then like a week later, like he had some sort of, it was maybe it was a month later. Some, he had some sort up. of inspiration. He's like, I'm back at it guys. Here I am. And to me, yeah. that's the way it is. Like the, the, the passion for these theories comes and goes as my brain kind of ebbs and flows around them. So I definitely get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And that's fine. And I'll, and I might find something that catches my eye and, and gets me down a man's Rhaegar path again. And that's totally fine. Just let it happen, guys. If you're yeah. into them, just let yourself be into it. But if you're kind of at this point with me where you're like, you're still very invested in the characters, but you're just kind of like, let's just see what happens, then that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, cool. Um, her, her next question was, uh, did you guys finish Fire and Blood? you know what stuck out what stuck with you the most or did you have any new favorite characters i have not finished fire and blood i'm not even halfway uh not because i don't like it because i have enjoyed it but haven't been able to honestly how about you scatter you did you finish it yeah i finished it before i started reading these novellas um so a few okay. weeks ago i thought you said you had yeah i finished it sometime in, in mid-january uh i loved it um Mm-hmm. what's what stuck out with me the most a few things so one is the absolute failure uh, spoilers matt sorry uh of j and a uh jaharis and uh alison to secure heirs despite having 13 children they had 13 children yeah yeah and they still didn't have an heir sit the throne like one of their own children sit the throne it's like a big warning sign for other prominent families in the future of a song of ice and fire like be careful. Benjamin, don't go to the wall. You need heirs. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that stuck, stood out to me. Like, it seems like George is going over and beyond and beyond the line of saying, like, they've had enough. Only that mm-hmm. and say it wasn't enough, right? Because Jaharis and Alisan's failure to really, really secure the throne in a, a good way is kind of partially what led to uh, the dance and um so 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 there's that um and the other, the other thing is that i i get the sense that there are eggs dragon eggs out there like mm-hmm. lots of them i mean there's several mentions in fire and blood about who's left clutches and they had another clutch and there's eggs and dragonstone and i i get the feeling they're they're around um, yeah, even the world of ice and fire gives us little hints into that, and it does. It does, and mm-hmm. I think I almost don't want it to be the case that they're the I, like I almost want that to be a a check off gun that stays stays on the rack because I don't want the world to be overrun with dragons. I want the story to be about people and not about dragon fire wars. But uh, but we'll see. 
anyway, that that was a takeaway. Um, any new favorite characters that you found, Matt, so far? Well, you know, you love Jaharis. Yeah. Um, you love old Kriegy Stark. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call this guy a favorite because I certainly recognize his shortcomings. But Scad, I'll tell you who I identify with an awful lot. I'm so excited. <laughs> no, you're going to be let down. Frickin' Aenys Targaryen, this guy who we're talking about. Really? I've just found, as I've gotten to know him, that I completely identify with this dude. I mean, he's he's just like me. Is he not? Um, he's... No. He's a people pleaser. <laughs> I... <laughs> um, I see why people see weakness in him, but I just see this guy who just wanted to be happy. And uh, obviously he had some responsibilities that he shirked because of, of that nature. But I totally get that. Just, just dude, just, just chill out, man. Uh being he was a good guy he was courteous he made friends easily uh, he was patient um, at the same time he was easily influenced and he vacillated and couldn't make the tough decisions but uh he found joy in his family um and things like that and i don't know man i just i i felt a certain kinship with Aenys targaryen for all his shortcomings of which i have many too so it's a good answer. I I think, I think I see where you're going, but I think, I think maybe he's extreme, more extreme than you, on all ends. The bad stuff is way worse. The good stuff is maybe like not it's better than better. you are. Well, <laughs> not better, but just more more pronounced into pronounced. who he is rather than being a more balanced person, right? Like his vacillating nature was a a, a real detriment to him. To you, to it's something kingdom. you notice, and to the kingdom. To you, it's something you notice about yourself that bothers you. But it's not it's not actually detrimental to your life because you got a pretty great life, right? So I, don't, I get I what you're saying, but yeah. What about you? Yeah, a, f- a few that just stick out. I don't know about a favorite. Um, it's Alisanne... Poxy Jane, isn't it? It's Poxy Jane. <laughs> no, Alisanne, I really, really like. Um, you know, her stuff about ending the ending first night was was really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. She's just a, a passionate, capable, loving. Uh, just she's great. Just everything. She's about superhero her man. She's yeah. the Captain Marvel of freaking Westeros. Dude. Yeah, she's very great. cool. Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. check it out at comic book stores now. Um, Rego Draz is an interesting guy. He, he was uh, mm-hmm. a master of coin guy that that worked. Uh, he's from uh, Lis, and uh, I really enjoyed him. He was he's smart and kind of games the system a little bit. Um, and then uh, Lucaris, uh, the the second son uh, there uh, of um, of uh, Rhaenyra and. Um, he he was one that wanted to, to carry the message to uh to Storm's End uh in trying to recruit the Baratheons to uh to Rhaenyra's side and agreed to go as a messenger and not a warrior and took the insults hurled at him uh by 
Um, oh, geez, which kid is it? The second son of... Uh, the second son of... Uh, Amond, 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 Amond One-Eye. Uh, just took the insults hurled at him by Amond in stride and delivered his message and took the message back. He was murdered in murder most foul uh, above Stormbreaker Bay, and uh, but I really liked him. He's a young kid, sworn to do his duty, ready to help, and just laid to waste. So I really liked him. That's my answer. Too many. The good ones always go. They do. The good ones always go. I mean, we all go, Matt, mm-hmm. good or bad. Um, okay. I think that's it. Are we ready to move on? Yeah. Let's go on to Visenya's power grab following yes. uh, Annie's death. Right. Um, Magor kind of just waltzed in and took what he thought was his. What's your quote for this one? It's actually from Visenya. If any man questions my son's right to the Iron Throne, let him prove his claim by battle. Mm-hmm. The price you pays to have they say You claim the crown but never found your way The sword's your dad's and the dragon you flew But the fires are yours and the blood is too You can make it happen if you've got six wives You tried, Magor, the realm's tears shed Weren't fit for you, alive or dead One thing we didn't really talk about was that uh, when Magor put away his first wife and took his second wife, mm-hmm. Alice Haraway, Annie's was not pleased. Correct. Nor was the faith. And Annie's gave him an ultimatum. Annie's, yeah. look at you go, buddy. Yeah. He said, either put Alice away and go back to your first wife, Cerise, or I'm going to exile you for five years. And um, Magor chose exile. So as soon as Aenys died, Visenya wasn't even, didn't even stick around for the funeral. She went and picked up Magor and Balerion. And then Magor, of course, came back. He lands at Dragonstone and declares himself king. Yep. Yeah, a very uh, defiant act, completely ignoring any sort of right to the throne that that the laws mm-hmm. of the Seven Kingdoms would uh, would put line forth. of secession or anything. Yeah, Aegon at this time, uh, who was the heir apparent, was at Craycall. Yes, he was part of a royal progress and uh, wasn't around. Well, he was, and he was kind of being held and hostage he's by the faith. Captured there, yeah, yeah. yeah he was surrounded. Craig Call was surrounded by poor fellows who were kind of locking him in there. Yeah, and that did Magor a big favor. Visenya is so quick to act on this; it almost right. seems like she'd been planning it. Kind of, we talked about mm-hmm. the fact that maybe she murdered Aeneas, poisoned right. him, or something. Um, it almost seems like she was just ready to do this, and just enacted a plan she'd been thinking about for a while. She's in her 70s, Matt. She's an old lady. Yeah. She's old yeah. at this point. Um, yeah. She's so, an old Elena Tyrell, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. She's... Homegirl's doing her thing. For sure. Mm-hmm. So... Looking out for hers. 
so you know with the quote that i read um you know it's a very dramatic moment and it's a moment in the in the movies where maybe everyone looks down at their feet and they're like oh fine he can have it he's so impressive no <laughs> not in this case because in this case we have the faith ready mm-hmm. to ready to depose this guy and we get our first what matt we get our first, not Davos Fingers first, because our first came five episodes ago. Uh-huh. But the first in the history of Westeros, Trial of Seven. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, of course, Magor crowned himself at Dragonstone. He flies to King's Landing, where he's challenged by the warrior's sons. We're in we're in the midst of this faith militant uprising, right, are, right yeah. now? Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, he runs into them. They are the warrior's sons are led by Damon the Devout Morrigan. And he's That's like, a great no, you're name. Not be king. The Devout. The Devout, and also just even without it, just Damon Morrigan. Morrigan. It's, yeah, that it's is just a good, a good name. Good waste of a name, George. He's gone in like a page. <laughs> um, <laughs> he says, and they they kind of they're at an impasse, and Magor says, "All right, swords will decide the matter." Damon agrees. Right? Yeah. Magor turns to the crown and says, Who will come stand beside his king? Crickets. Yeah. Crickets. <laughs> very, very much like the dunk moment, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Eerily like the dunk moment. Yeah. And who was the first guy that joined up? Dick Bean. Dick Bean. Dick Bean. Just a simple man at arms. Yeah. Basically said, what, what did he say? He said something like, "Paraphrasing, he said I've been yeah, a king's man my whole life. I'm gonna might as well die as one." Yeah. yeah. And then of course this bean shames us all, mm-hmm. uh, which which causes several several knights to kind of volunteer, right? Right. Yeah. And then of course the tragic thing, because of course Gurm would do this. Dick Bean dies like immediately moments after the battle yeah, starts like, immediately he's just killed right away yeah in the movies this guy would survive and become a member of the king's guard and yes magor would honor him as the guy who first stood up for him no 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 nope uh in this trial of seven uh long story short magor's the only one who makes it out alive barely although <laughs> Almost not. He took a huge blow to the head as well as other injuries. Uh, and he lingered at the point of death for 27 days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's sitting there for 27 days. Uh, on the 27th day, uh, a boat arrives with both Alice uh, Haraway and... Uh, Magor's wife. Uh, yeah, Magor's yeah. second wife. And the new woman, Tyanna of the Tower. Who could she be? Who could she be? Um, she's a dark-haired former courtesan who has caught Magor's fancy. Mm-hmm. And uh, this chick, she, she basically, I think, is maybe responsible for him waking up. But it's funny because... Her arrival, while it, you know, brings him back, she kind of 
wrecks everything and brings about his ruin. So there's some some irony in this arrival and recovery mm-hmm. um, for what happens in the future. But uh, yeah, he wakes up and immediately he, he does not wait long to, to oh make his gosh. next move. Yeah, the day after, right? Yeah. He gets on Valerian. Now, seven of these warriors' sons had died in the trial of seven, but there's still around 700 in King's Landing, and their headquarters were the hill of Rainies in yeah. King's Landing. Yeah, these, so, I mean, they, they, had, they had basically built their own encampment yeah. on Rainis's hill. Um at the Sept of, Sept of Remembrance? Mm-hmm. Sept of Remembrance. And it was kind of like their own little stronghold, right? And you know, this, this this rebellion of the faith was not... This was no small thing, right? Like, they they meant business. And even though he won that that trial uh, of, by battle, 27 days is a long time to cling to death. And... These guys were considering other options besides, I think, you know, being loyal to the king at this point. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. But the the anti-Aeonis, he takes care of it. Yeah. Flies in there on Balerion, burns the place down. Yeah. All 700 of them, dead. Yeah. And that's it. There were, there remained other chapters, if you will, of the Warrior's Sons in Westeros. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was a big chunk of them, and their influence was greatly diminished at yeah. this point. So. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's kind of contradictory a little bit, the way the book talks about them, because it says very specifically, this is paraphrasing, but but they never reached that level of power again in Westeros. Yeah. Uh-huh. But at the same time, the next 30 pages are full of these guys Mopping still up. hanging around, yeah. being a thorn in the side, pestering the septon you know to to stick to his guns they mm. don't disappear it's just kind of like their mili- the military threat in king's landing is kind of abated right yep yeah the immediate threat right right there yeah i would agree with that should we roll right into the next section with this yeah, yeah let's do it we're kind of right there kind of right there yeah the um so my quote my quote jumps ahead a little bit but it's uh, it's it's a good one. And the dragons came, Vagar first as the sun was rising, then Balerion just before midday. But they found the gates of the city open, the battlements unmanned, and the banners of House Targaryen, House Tyrell, and House Hightower flying side by side atop the city walls. So, Aen- we we talked about this a little bit. Aenus never really properly dealt with the faith, and. Like a teenager, the faith kind of kept pushing the boundaries, right? Pushing back, pushing back all the time. Yeah, he kind of just ignored him. He just yeah. says he persisted in whatever he was going to do. Right, and ignored any sort of objections they made and just didn't really deal with them. Um, mm-hmm. Like just leaving a cancer, right? And just like, eh, well, I'm going to keep living. Um, yeah. Megor taking over was... I think a blow to the faith, right? I mean, his destruction of the Hill, Hill of Rainus, like we just said, killed the strongest arm of the faith militant. Then he went out and started mopping up, like you said, killing the faith militant in the field. So he, he had several battles where he uh, killed, um, I think, Watt the Hewer and several others, 
Um, Horace Hill. Horace yeah. Hill. Uh, well, he dispersed Horace Hill. I think he was still around later until later. But um, yeah, I mean, th- he dealt with them, right? He put them, you know, he, he dispersed them, put them into hiding, and put the fear of Targaryen in them, for lack of a better phrase, right? I mean, he he dealt with it. But then even Magor let it sit for a bit. He came back to King's Landing, focused on uh, the Red Keep, which we haven't talked much about yet. Yeah, and creating up the project, yeah. creating heirs. Mary, he marries Tyana the Tower. So he kind of lets it sit, and you know the faith. He he does some things that the faith can't, you know, they can't abide. Abide, by. right? Mm-hmm. He gets married again to this woman. Uh, you know, well, while still his first wife is still sitting, uh, you know, at the Citadel there. So uh, they, you know, they, they push back again. Finally, though, Visenya's idea that she gave to Aenys takes root in, in Magor, and he flies his dragon out to just roast these fuckers. Oh boy, here we go. They go to the Riverlands and they just start toasting towns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And word is that they're heading south, and... To Old Town. To Old Town. And the Septon is not budging. He's calling down fire and brimstone. He's saying they're abominations. You know, he's not not letting it go. And it says something in the book about uh, something like, it seemed seemed for certain that that Old Town was going to burn. Yeah, they were all making prep for it. People were leaving the city. Some people people were just getting drunk and being like, well, might as well waste all my money and get drunk tonight. Uh, and then the weirdest thing happened. The Septon died in the middle of the night. What? And the High Towers, after his death, quickly opened the gates, struck you know, got everyone off the battlements, raised the Targaryen flag, and <laughs> made sure that that Old Town did not burn. And Old Town is saved. Mm-hmm. So they avoid the city burning by acquiescing. You know, again, these kind of... The dragons as Death Stars, which is something we've said before, forces finally... So if Aeneas had done this, you know, before, probably, they, you know, they may have made the same decision, right? But here they yep. come, Vagar and Beleriand, and... Yeah, they're... They have to. It's that or face destruction, Right. Protect and protect had he had a great relationship with Quicksilver all along. Could he have did. been, could have been. He was a dragon rider. Yep, but he didn't do it. Um, nope. You know, I don't know that he had it in him to to kill masses of people, right? Right. But anyway, so so they they've kind of they elect a new Septon who is <laughs> totally willing to go along with whatever Megor says. And I don't um, think he really knew what was going on, no, anyways. Yeah, no, he was—he's was very, very old and yeah, weak and feeble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he—he he go. I mean, th- this is this is this is where this part really gets interesting. Magor hangs out in Old Town for a half a year, which is a little surprising to me because he doesn't seem like the kind that cares to hang out here. Mm-hmm. Once he got his power back and you know put the fear in him, seemed like he would have just gone back. But he hangs out. He convicts a bunch of people, sending sending tons of dudes to the Night's Watch and killing a lot of others. Um, he renews his relationship with with Cerise Hightower, 
um, his wife. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So she's restored as his wife and accompanies him back when he leaves. Um, and he also, the biggest thing to this to me is he gets the faith to agree that to, to put prices on the heads of the warrior's sons and the poor fellows. Mm-hmm. They don't, Matt, imagine this, Matt. Imagine an anointing people to follow you. They follow you faithfully for years. Then later, you say, yeah, you can go ahead and kill them for money. That is a huge turnaround. And I'm surprised that the PR fallout wasn't worse for yes. the faith. And and I wonder if, again, it's... Because that's know, just like the ultimate betrayal. It is. But you They've w- given everything to them. You wonder if even the small folk who, you know... I don't know, George kind of, kind of vacillates on this. Like, whether they're actually pretty intuitive and smart or whether they're just completely oblivious to what's going on and they just pick up their hose when they're called to, to war. But you wonder if even they are like, he he has a Death Star pointed at his head. He has to do it. Right. Well, it does say that they ended up protecting them. And in many cases, the small folk were the ones protecting the warriors, sons and poor fellows. Right. Yeah, right. So, so it's almost they like they hide them and stuff. So yeah. they didn't leave the faith and or get angry at the Septon because they're or the, the they high Septon because they know yeah. they're like he had to. We can uh-huh. still do the things that are important. These guys still stick up for us. We're still all on the same page. He's got to do this. It's PR. He has to, or mm-hmm. you know, he'll burn, and so will the faith. So you you, you wonder if they just get it right? Well, kind of like you said. Yep. And. This kind of, this kind of power, just like Palpatine, just just like why Aegon wanted to hatch dragons so bad and it ended in Summer Hall, and just like I worry about Daenerys now, that kind of power it has to be stopped, because you can get people to agree to terrible things if they're terrified. If you push the right buttons. And they have to sacrifice the right, the correct things. Then, yep, they'll do anything. Ugh. I've just I've come. I like Danny, but I've just come so far on Targaryen. On my feelings about Targaryens in general. A topic for another time. Indeed. Okay. Uh... So so then we get so so basically old town the faith they're kind of subdued right we still got people in the field poor fellows and such still kind of bringing down nobles here and there and and fighting skirmishes you know from from the shadows but basically the faith has like been stamped in line for, for yeah for subdued now. is a good way to put it yeah. yeah but you put out one fire and another one springs up Ooh. uh Aegon has decided that now is the time for him to make his mark and starts up his own little rebellion. Now mm-hmm. it's a sad little thing, really. Um, he goes to his credit. He, he makes his way to King's landing, sneaks in, uh, yeah, in a this clever way. Cool. Yeah. He sneaks in, in a clever way, hiding in, in some, with some bags of corn or something and, and gets in the city, goes and grabs his dad's dragon, Quicksilver, 
and he and Rihanna with Dreamfire make it out. And they fly back to the Riverlands and stir up a little army. But the major lords aren't, they're not buying in yet. They want to see proof, right, that Aegon can make this happen. So so he sets out basically to prove himself, and uh, he's met in the field by lords and lords and lords and lords. Oh, and by the way, Balerion. And this it's it's really a sad little rebellion. It lasts, you know, a few hours in battle. A few hours, yeah. And Quicksilver and Aegon are just destroyed in a battle south just south of the God's Eye by Balerion and Megor. Yeah, one of the first dragon on dragon fights in a long time. Yeah. The first in Westeros, right? I think so. Uh but Quicksilver was just too small compared to Balerion the Black Dread and just got said he ripped one of his wings off. Yeah. A quarter of the it. size, I think it said, and mm-hmm. you know, Aegon not really an experienced dragon rider. He'd been with Rayana quite a few times, but he just really started riding himself, so um a lot of the art I see has him falling from the dragon. Um Right. But uh yeah, I mean so it's it's ended quickly. Poor Aegon. We kind of covered him earlier, how sad his tale is. Um, but perhaps even sadder than that is the whole affair that is the tale of Rhaena, eldest born of Aenys and Alyssa. And she she didn't ride into battle with Dreamfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably better that way anyway, because I think Balerion would have taken them both. Um, she hides away with her twin daughters, um, just trying to lay low and get forgotten. And uh, with her twins. Yeah. And that's the end of that rebellion. Good night. See you later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I did think it was interesting that Aegon was able to, I don't know what the terminology is, get Quicksilver to accept him. Yeah. So quickly. Yeah. We hear other tales of dragons being very reticent in who can ride them and stuff. Yeah. Not just anyone can hop on a dragon and ride it. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if it speaks a little bit to what you said before about the closeness of the family, that mm-hmm. Aegon was around Aeneas a lot, that and the dragon was familiar used to with him. Quicksilver. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. Um, this was this is a very small, very small thing with probably zero substance, um, but one thing that spurred Magor to really act and put out this rebellion in typical Magor fashion was Tiana informing Magor. Tiana was kind of known as the mistress of whispers, right? She had all sorts of connections and everything that uh, she told Magor, look, the eerie storm's end Winterfell and Casterly rock have all been in contact with Alyssa with Mm -hmm. Aegon's mom. And if Aegon wins this battle, if Aegon wins a battle, that's all they're looking for. And, and they're going to join up with him. So you got to take care of this now. And, um, just, just listing those houses, Erie, Storm's End, Winterfell, Casterly Rock reminded me. It is. It reminded me a little bit of, um, Stefan's Southern ambitions theory Mm. about those major houses Mm. all wanting to join up and, you know, intermarry and everything in order to achieve a little bit more power. Um, the one house that's missing that's in that theory is uh, the Tullys, 
but the other four are all part of it. And this could be nothing, but I wonder if now Tyana could be could have been lying all along just to get Megor to act and take the field. Um, but if she wasn't lying, I wonder if this was kind of the established communication between these four houses that maybe continued on until later, later, later with uh, Roderick Stark and Hoster Tolley and John Aaron and all them. That's interesting. I don't know. Just it'd be, it'd be 200 years later, which yeah. is a time. Uh, that's a, a reasonable amount of years, but it's a lot of generations, but, but, it, but even, even if it's not like a direct link mm-hmm. thematically, it's important. It, it, it's um who who says it uh i think it's the great john um who says it's it's the dragons we bowed to and it's, it's the whole king in the north mm-hmm. speech right mm-hmm. um mm. they none of these people are happy about being under the targaryens none of them like it it was only a matter of time after the dragons were gone that that they that southern ambitions or something like it was going to happen they all want power, and they all bristle under that rule. And to some degree, they're probably all a bit resentful of the Targaryens being in control for such a time, just because they happen to have dragons, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so even if they aren't establishing a pipeline of you know, you know that their that their ancestors, you know, passed through or whatever, thematically it's the same. You're right. Show us, show us that we don't we can be away from this crazy tyrant right and if not we're not gonna take it (laughs) twisted sister those guys were they had an image freaking weirdos oh come on they were awesome all right we'll move on uh (sighs) the glory the glory days the glory days of music uh shall I, we uh yeah i did have oh just one just one little tiny thing i think the time uh, we, we talked about how you know the high septon just kind of agreed and uh had to capitulate because they felt the terror of of the death star um i think though magor's time in old town probably hardened a lot of the people around there against magor for the long run the mm. dude hung out for six months Everybody saw how hard and nasty and cruel he was as a person. I imagine he made a lot of enemies in that time that furthered their resolve for the future. Just kind of like setting the stage for later. That's all. Small thing. Yeah, well, I agree. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, another question from a blood rider here. Uh, question from Strong Belwas spinoff. Who is the character in A Song of Ice and Fire that we have heard, seen, heard the least of that will have an impact, play a large part in the remaining books of Song of Ice and Fire? You got, uh, you got any thoughts on that, Matt? I've said it before, but it's the one that I can, the one that I keep coming back to. I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna hear a lot more and see a lot more influence from my boys in the hood down in the Reach, the Tyrells. Mm-hmm. Willis and Garland coming up. Yeah, my, my with the Ironborn is, invasion and and all of that. I've tipped my hand probably too much over the past several weeks, but my answer is obvious. Uh, House High Tower. Yeah, um, we've heard almost nothing from them, almost nothing. 
and just waiting in the wings. Just that Sam chapter where we hear that you know all these sons are busy, and we're like, who? Who are all these dudes? Um, they've been busy, and they're capable people. And so, I, since I had to pick one person, I said, I guess Layton. He's the master of the house, and he's been up there doing some crazy shit in the tower. We don't know what, but we've heard literally nothing from him. So I'm going with Leighton Hightower. Great. Um, and I appreciate Strong Bell Waspinoff's second quick follow-up question. Uh, not a huge fan of the show, so don't keep up with the news a lot. I heard that HBO have five spinoffs from A Song of Ice and Fire world planned. What is the likelihood any of these involve Strong Bell Wasp? Five? Really? It's five, yeah. Spinoffs. Oh I think so. Uh, I I don't know what the likelihood is. Probably zero. But if if they don't, they should, because he's awesome. He's not in the series, right? At all? They skipped him? No. No, he does not appear in the television series. So, so if they had a spinoff for Strong Bellwass, it would be an introduction of the character, and that would just be weird. So I think the chances... Strong Bell Wasp spinoff R0. Sorry to disappoint you. Agreed. All right, let's move on. The Many Brides of Megor the Cruel. Oh, my goodness. And were, were there a few? There were a few. Again, whereas Annie's had one bride and many kids, Megor has to be the opposite. So he had many wives. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. And no kids. Uh, what's your quote for this one? My quote for this one is, His privy parts were poisoned, his seed mm. full of worms. The gods would never grant him a living son. That's not a very nice thing to say. No. Mm. All right, well, let's review these ladies. Uh, first wife, we mentioned her, Cerise Hightower. Um, <laughs> Magor was 13 Mm-hmm. When he married her, he boasted after their first night together that he had made a son. Nerp. Nope. He later put her aside when she just wasn't having any kids. Uh, and he put her aside for, as we mentioned, Alice Haraway. Uh, Alice Haraway was the one who he was willing to go into exile for, and he did. When they came back, uh, came back with Tan of the Tower, who he ended up marrying as well so he had he kind of had the three wives to start out with right scatty yeah i want to talk I about mean, those they were kind of like before we go know, into the they weren't at the same three. time but they were kind of sequential yeah we could talk about those three first yeah i don't know there's too much to talk about more with cerise that we need to cover here she dies uh, he brings her back in 43 ac she dies in 45 Apparently, rumor has it she was killed after making a, this was the word that he used in the chapter, a shrewish, <laughs> shrewish remark. Oh, Kate. So. Uh, yes. Poor Kate Hightower. She, so, um, yeah, I mean, there's not much to say maybe about, about Cerise. She, what if she had produced an heir? She could have saved a whole lot of trouble. This could have just been done. Yeah. Could have been... No. Just not a problem. Uh, you know, not to blame her, of course. I'm sure she was trying. Um, maybe the more interesting thing is, you know, she was proposed uh, by, basically by by the Septons as a as an alternative to Rayanna, because they had wanted to marry Megor to, to his cousin Rayanna. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
it's interesting that they put her forward. She's from that, you know, it's not interesting, obvious that they would put her forward. She's from the ruling city of that town. Um, but it, it's just interesting how the high towers are kind of, they're kind of pushing for early control here, right? This is the beginning of a new era. It's been Targaryens only in the club, right? And let's now get here's, in early. here's an opening. Let's let's insert ourselves in here. We're a powerful family. Let's let's put our best foot forward. And you know, mm-hmm. it didn't end up being maybe the best foot, but they tried. Sure tried. Um he didn't have any more luck with uh with Alice in terms yeah. of having babies. Not to begin with for sure. Interesting, I would say interesting about Alice that, you know, I didn't think about it until the way you put it just now. He was willing to go into, in, into, uh, exile, exile for her or, or, well, I just thought of this too. Maybe he was just willing to just be a dick to his brother and to call his, to call (laughs) his bluff. Right. But he probably thought Annie's wouldn't go through with it, but it seems like maybe there's, there's something real with these two, maybe. Maybe at first. At first, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Now, she, when they did come back with her as the queen and everything, she did actually get pregnant. She did. Right? Um, Lost the baby in the third trimester. So this is... Of course, is heartless. Part of... Heartbreaking. Yes. And this is part of what turns, you know, what gives him his name. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and just one of the little tick marks, kind of, because... Because I feel like his his fall, and we'll get more into the, in a little bit, but his fall is a bunch of little tick marks, a bunch of them, right? That just demonstrate how awful a person he is. And mm-hmm. one of them is the way he reacted to what Alice did or did not do, depending on what you believe. He was told by Tan of the Tower that Alice had been trying to get pregnant by sleeping with a billion other dudes, right? Yeah. And... Tyana told him that, and they tortured a bunch of them and killed them. Um, I think somewhere around 40 people um, just just in the trial of figuring out, you know. The original list was 20. And they named 18 more, I think. But I think it grew, yeah. And, and then, of course, he went and just exterminated their whole family yeah. after that. He so, didn't stop with them and her. He uh, go and destroyed all of House Haraway. Right. So cruel right like it's just i understand there's reaction you have to react but he overreacts to the point of you know people just everyone eventually kind of has some sort of relationship with him that he overreacted against them you know the haraways yeah they were good dudes yeah well he murdered all of them oh maybe he's not so great (laughs) so anyway you think she did it uh, did what? Do you think that she she was trying to get pregnant? Yeah, with others. With yeah. others. Maybe. Yeah. And I'll follow that up with I don't blame her. Yeah. This poor woman was married to a monster. Yeah. And she was probably scared to death. Yeah. And if she could just give him a child, that might. And that's tragic that she had to think that way, right? But that could very easily, that would be a very human thing to happen. Maybe she wasn't. I I bet, 
I bet she was. And I wouldn't blame her, though, if she was. I kind of think she was, but that it wasn't this drawn-out list of names that's been... It wasn't this grand conspiracy. Sure. Okay. It was like yeah. a guy, right? Or, you know, something that, that she was trying to do this with to, to get a baby, and it was very much on the sly, and she was just trying to, trying to, you know, like you said, she's terrified, right? But Tiana made it into this huge, this huge thing. That's kind of my take on it. Um, so guilty, yes, but not of, uh, not the way they painted it. Certainly, yeah, my, is my feeling. Because part part of that is just the the theme of torture and what it gets you that that George lays out all over the place in his books. Mm-hmm. That like you can't rely on what you get from tortured people. Uh, it gives you the answers you want, right. but not necessarily the correct yeah. ones. We saw it in Dunkin' Egg. We see it, you know, we see it everywhere, right? Yeah. So, we see it later with uh, the Cersei stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So then Magor decides, you know, I got to get myself a kid, and he's only got one wife left. That's Tiana. And nothing's happening there, apparently. So he goes out, and he's going to find, he's going to marry three more ladies. Yeah. Because time's running out, man. It is. He's got to get himself a kid. Yeah. Those three ladies are Rihanna. That's right. The one who he was originally to be betrothed to. Aegon's widow, Aenys' daughter. Also careful, you're adopting my pronunciation. Hey, look at you, Scad. (laughs) Look at the influence you're having upon me. Um, uh, Yeah, so he did end up calling her back to court. At this point, she was clear off, hiding away at Fair Isle. Um, But at his summons, she returned because she knew that Fair Isle would just get destroyed and she would die if she didn't do this. And everyone else would die too. Um, not only that, but Tiana found Rihanna's twins and uh, who Rihanna had sent into hiding. And she, of course, used them. She and Magor used them as collateral to ensure Rihanna's cooperation. Um, next wife was one. We've heard this name before, haven't we? We have indeed. Jane Westerling. Jane was a beauty. Uh, she was also... At 19, she had already had – no, wait. That's the other one. That's the other that's one. That's Eleanor. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, Jane Westerling was a widow of Alan Tarbeck who died with Aegon. She, Aegon, she did have a son already. The son was born after her husband had died. Um, more on her later. Uh, Eleanor Costain was the third one. She had three sons by age 19. Yeah. And um, – Magor took a liking to her, but Eleanor was married. So easy peasy for Magor. He just accuses her husband of uh, something, some crime, and beheads him for that crime that he <laughs> accused him of. Yeah. The old I think. And yeah, who was a landed knight. Yeah. I mean, no, again, a little tick mark. Mm-hmm. No due process, no care for reality, just murder. Yep. You right. did something bad. Off with your head. Yep. And uh, she gave, he gave Eleanor seven days to grieve and then said, we're shacking up. Yep. So. Um, and that's it. Yeah. 
So they were called. You mentioned it before. The Black Brides. The Black Brides. Yeah. yeah. Right, There's because they're a... all widows. Right. Um. Uh. They call them the Black Brides. Um. There's yeah. a heart-wrenching photo of or uh, photo, photo or picture <laughs> in Fire and Blood. It's an Instagram. The three of them together. Yeah, it was a selfie. Um. Uh, on their wedding day, right? And they all yes. just look. Yeah, they're not defeated. Happy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's a it's a reasonable metaphor for like the kingdom, right? Under his rule, sure. I think it's just sure. like defeated acquiescence. Uh huh. Um. So yeah, going back a little bit to Tyana of the Tower, uh, he had stopped. So before seeking these black brides, he had stopped going to her bed. Um, we don't mm-hmm. really know why. Um, but yeah, so something soured between them, um, or he just lost interest in her. Maybe who knows? Mm-hmm. But yeah, these black brides. I mean, it's it's a it, it is a concerted effort on his part to get an heir, and right, he still had some hubris about it, like trying to you know he made sure to pick beautiful women and not just the ones that might give him an heir and, um, you know, ran his inclusion, obviously, because of the the Targaryen bloodline to help solidify his children as the future heirs. But uh, it's not, it's not uh, you know, other than the fact that the faith hates it, not a bad, not a bad plan, as, you know, it's kind of like a Hail Mary, right? Yeah, as far as Hail Marys go. I mean. Marry three women and see yeah. see what happens. The yeah. shotgun approach. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned Jane, a name we've heard before. Do you think it's uh, painting something about our Jane, perhaps having a child? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, it, I think it might be a painting, and I think it might also just be George having a little fun. Having some fun. He's trolling us. He's Rick Rick Roloring us. He really is. He's Rick Roloring us. Uh, we haven't used that forever. No, it's been a while. Oh, uh, I, I, yeah, I have a badly doctored image of what's the guy's name? Uh, Aston, Rick Astley, Rick Ast- Astley. Astley. Yeah. amongst flames. Yeah, we'll have to resurrect that and see if we can find it. Rick Rulor. Uh but Alan Tarbeck, uh, Jane's husband, died in the rebellion. He died with Aegon, and uh, obviously Rob Stark died in rebellion. Um, and Jane, who uh, Rob's Jane, there's the theories about her being pregnant with Rob's child. And here we find that this Jane did give her dead rebel husband a posthumous son. Um, and then the best part, the best little Rick Rolloring that he, that Germ does is going out of his way to mention that Jane Westerling was tall and slender. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Calling back to the hip mistake. Yes. The, the hip yeah. mistake that caused theories. Uh, yep. For sure. Yeah, so, I thought that was just interesting. So, yes, could he be having a little fun with us? Probably. And I bet he chuckled as he wrote that. And if you extend the metaphor, Jane Westerling's baby was born with—I uh, can't remember—wings. Was it? Uh, little non-functional um, wings or a tail or something. Maybe Jane Wesley in, in the Song of Ice and Fire books will, will birth a wolf baby or something. Yeah, maybe. It was actually Eleanor's baby that had wings, um, according to my something. notes. 
Jane's was like like it didn't have like a oh, face or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was. Anyway, speaking of that, both Jane and Eleanor did get pregnant with Magor's children, right? Yep. Uh, but both babies were stillborn, um, mm-hmm. tragically, uh, and all both once delivered stillborn were hideous to look upon. They, like you said, born with wings or just. And, and Jane died giving birth, I think, right? She did. Yep. And um, and 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 right after that, right after Eleanor's. Um, They're both pregnant no, sorry, at the right, same time. Yeah, right. Right after Jane's miscarriage, somehow, Magor comes to the conclusion that this is Tyanna's fault. Right? Uh, yeah, and then she admits it. And then, she, yeah, he confronts her and she's like, yep, totally me. She's basically mm-hmm. been, according to her, poisoning them to some degree to make sure that these babies die in their womb. So, it's interesting. And Alice Haraway, too. And Alice back Haraway to as one well. Of the first three wives, he, she was responsible for the death of that baby. And promises that Eleanor's will too, because she gets confronted before Eleanor actually births, and then it comes true. Yep. Uh, so she's killed. Yep. He kills her as well. Tortures her, kills her. Uh, so she's dead. So we've really only got Eleanor and Reyna now left of his six brides, just two remaining. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, when we Tyana... should point out Go ahead. that Araya, Rana's one of the twins, uh, was declared his heir. Yes, interesting take. Just to point that out. Yep. Yeah, possibly to just kind of keep uh, Jaharis, uh, Jaharis away uh, and kind of just negate his rights, just kind of preemptively, right. um, yep. since he had her and was under, you know, his control, kind of. Um. But uh, yeah, so basically, all of this, all of this effort for nothing. He fails to deliver an heir. Thank God, because who knows what kind of person it would have been raised to be. Sheesh. Um, but this went a long way to sealing the deal for the common folk against Mago, right? Just like in the quote that I read, despite all of these attempts, the gods refused to give him a healthy child mm-hmm. over the years. Clearly, you know, the gods are against his rule. They're renouncing him. Yeah. So at the court of public opinion, this meant a lot. In reality, it seems like he just had a poisoner. Like, it might have been fine. I mean, so he had one wife that was barren. And then one, you know, I don't know how long he tried with Alice for, but one... Remember that this happened all in a very pretty tight timeline. Um, And then Diana was poisoning the rest of them. Mm -hmm. So... Maybe it would have worked out for him if he kept trying, but the public doesn't see it that way. Yeah, I put two main reasons. We haven't started talking about the tide turning on Magor, but here I am jumping the gun. That's all right. Two main reasons uh, is his cruelties, first of all. He was just a monster. Yeah. And second is because of his inability to sire an heir, and it was exactly what you said. So obviously the gods do not mean for him to, yeah. to rule. Well, perhaps we should just jump right into the tide turning on Mager, shall we? Sure. Yeah. Did we have a question from the Kalisar? Uh, not in this uh, part. Or is that next? I think okay. we got one after this. Okay. So the tide turns on Magor. Uh Here's my quote. No man in the Seven Kingdoms could doubt that the king was accursed now. 
what followers still remained to him began to melt away, evaporating like dew in the morning sun. A nice little passage. So you, you kind of jumped right into it. Why? Uh, marriages. The faith didn't like the marriages, so they had, he had kind of that, he had that strike against him from the very beginning. The faith was against this from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, that started even before him. Even before him, right? Yeah. The murders, nobody likes them. At some point, any, anyone of influence has had someone reasonably close to them just murdered <laughs> by Mangor. Like, everybody's uh-huh. been impacted. You know, it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing, right? Like, oh, yeah, Cousin Ronnie. You know, you know someone you know? that was killed by Mangor. Exactly. Exactly. How old were you when you had a for the, the old internet meme? Yeah. How old were uh-huh. you when you realized you had someone killed by Mangor that was close to you? I was today years old. Um, uh, and, and the, you know, those that haven't are part of, you know, part of a faith, at least, that he's murdering supporters of. Even if you don't know someone closely, he's still attacking the large majority of people's faith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was the, the Viserys thing. He's a kinslayer, a torturer. You mentioned the lack of heirs, proof to some that, you know, like, like we said, God has kind of rebuked him. Um, brutality just everywhere the extinction of House Haraway like we mentioned murder on the hill of Rayanus um, very little mercy at Old Town to to the the people that uh, you know had been opposing him he's just a brutal dude and people tire of that and the last one that I wrote down like maybe he's crazy like did he have a brain injury he got hit as he was winning that battle uh, the trial, of, the seven. trial of seven. I, I was wondering. He he took a heavy blow. Mm-hmm. Goes out of his way. Willem the Wanderer smacked him upside the head really good. So right. And, and so did everyone that meet him. Just kind of have this sense that he was at least tightly wound. At worst, a little nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, we get again. We get almost nothing about Megor's like behavior, like at breakfast. You know, like, it's it's all just, like, how he reacted to stuff and murdered people. Like, we don't get, mm-hmm. a, we don't get you know, there's no POV, The obviously. day-to-day, yeah. Yeah, we don't get how he was just, like, having a conversation about cricket. You know, like, we don't know. But, like, maybe he was just an empty suit unless he was murdering people. Yeah. You know? Plug him into his charger every night. Yeah. Exactly. And plug him in the morning, give him his sword. What's that, uh, Parks and Rec, the... Uh... The congressman that Ben Wyatt works for, for a while. Oh, I don't remember. You're gonna have to remind <laughs> me. Who's just like they can just talk to him. He's like, "Hey, be oh, careful. It's yes. a hot one out there." Yes, yes. He's just got like catchphrases. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then they look at him in his office, and he's just sitting there, just staring, sitting straight, there ahead, staring straight ahead, not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's Magor, but like with battle and war and stuff. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like. Point him in the direction and he'll kill somebody. But other than that, like he doesn't, he's just, he's just not engaged. Empty. Yeah, he's empty yeah. in there. Maybe I don't know. It's a you know a, a theory with no basis. Um, so how it's kind of weird because a, a lot of you know we we spent some time talking about the Death Star Dragon and and how he could kind of just win whenever he wanted just by flying that dragon around. But the way this kind of happens and, and it said in the quote that I read, it kind of said it, they kind of just melt away, right? People just kind of start abandoning his cause. And yeah. His... And it all just seems to like cards falling, right? Just... Yes. One by one. <laughs> yep. Right. So the faith has always opposed him. 
despite all the defeats, they never give up. They're still they're still rebels in the field. Um, House Oakheart and Rowan actually join Septon Moon. I was going to say, yeah, Lord Tully with Joffrey Doggett, yep. who's kind of leading an underground band of the Warrior Sons. Right. So these big how bigish houses. Right. The Valerians uh, and Baratheons declare early that they're leaving, and the others aren't far behind. Right? They leave too. Um, when Maker calls for support, it's mostly just like local lords of the Crown Lands <laughs> that yeah. show up, like the ones that he could literally fly to on Valerian that day and cook everyone he could, inside. He could walk to. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so like basically nobody shows up to support him. Still, that said, he could probably go out on Valerian and and get it End back it under all. control yeah. if he wanted, if he really wanted to and tried. But he he doesn't those close to him kind of leave him master maester benefor bolts from the city his wives leave him his mother is dead up by now we didn't really talk about that but she died um he's got no sons to kind of help him carry the banner he's truly alone right and i don't pity him because he brought it on himself but he's alone Mm -hmm. and in the end the throne itself may be turned on him depending on what you believe right yeah, the the story goes that his wife, Eleanor, who's the last one mm-hmm. around, uh, goes into the throne room after he'd had a night of counsel with these couple lords that had stuck around. And she found him dead on the Iron Throne. But not just dead, he was like impaled on it. Yeah, right? It was like blades through his wrists and through his throat. Yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the way you laid it out, though, really struck it home for me. Is is this a guy that had given up? I don't know. Uh, part because of... he does a very Amy's thing there. He calls a council to discuss what to do next. Yeah. Whereas his usual MO is, I'm just going to get out my dragon. We're going to take care of it. Yeah. I mean, part of that is I think. I think going back to the empty suit theory, you know, I think for part of it, he just listened to Visenya a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. There is yeah. one passage in here that says that he was kind of ruled by his Queens, that yeah. like, maybe he just kind of did what they said and he didn't have them to tell him what to do. And maybe he's a dullard. He didn't like studying. Maybe he wasn't any good at it either. Maybe he's an idiot. Right. It's like, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll ask people now, but, but, but some of it might be that he'd, he'd given up a little bit. I mean, you know, one of the theories is that he impaled himself on the throne. Right. Um, and I, I, I think that's the story that I buy. I think in the end he was just a done man that realized he didn't care anymore and just did that. That's, Yeah. The other theories out there are that maybe the Kingsguard murdered him. Yeah. Um, said point out that Lord Towers and Lord Rosby were the last to see him, and he was alive in the throne room when they left. Yeah. So was it them that did something? It could be. Um, I mean, in that uh, was it Eleanor that did it. In that meeting, right before that happened, he murdered one of the people that suggested he he give up. Yeah, he's like, uh, no, cut his head off. Which goes against yeah. my theory of, you know, he'd just kind of given in. Um, right. But, you know, maybe it was like the calm before the, or the storm before the calm, I yeah. guess. You know, where he's just like overreacting to the reality that this is over. And so mm-hmm. he murders the guy in anger and then realizes, uh, 
this I have no I have no hope here. I think having um, spent many a laundry night rewatching Lord of the Rings, that uh, what happened to Magor was just like what happened to was it Pippin or Merry in the Entwood? I think just like the tree kind of ate Pippin oh. for a minute there. Yeah, I think it was Merry, <clears throat> but yes. Was it Mary? Maybe it was Pippin. I don't know. I uh, rewatched it apparently. Too. You know what I'm talking about, yeah, though. Yeah. I think uh, it, it, Magor was just sitting on the Iron Throne, and the throne just kind of like came alive and just. Right. That's one of the theories, right? That the throne itself like turned on him. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the throne was, killed him. I mean, they say the I same was totally thing. Totally just joking. But... <laughs> well, they say the same thing about Rhaenyra a little bit. Like, not exactly the same. But that that the throne had judged her un, unworthy to sit the throne because it cut her all the time. It was she she would get up from the throne and she just have cuts everywhere. Ares had that problem too, right? Uh, maybe. Ares too. Yeah, was maybe. constantly getting cut up. So yeah, that is a theory that the that the throne itself was oh, like, interesting. You're not worthy anymore, and I, huh. I think I think it's okay. In there. Cool. Maybe I'm making it up. Um. So anyway, everyone's turned on him, and it's he's not going to last. Could he have flown around and maybe salvaged it with Balerion? Maybe. Dragons yeah, but things would have continued that same way. They, right. They would have continued to devolve. Yep. You can't fly to every keep every day. And, and burn everybody. Right. Eventually, eventually, someone would have poisoned his drink. Right? I mean, like, it, 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 whether the throne killed him or something else, it was coming to an end. Right? Mm-hmm. So, Jaehaerys is named king. Rogar Baratheon has taken in Alyssa and Jaehaerys and Alysanne. Uh I don't know if we mentioned that previously, but he's taken them in. And as things have devolved and he's seen the power leave Magor, he just says it. Jaehaerys is king now. I yep. declare him king. Um, we aren't going to cover it, at least not yet, but there's some good stuff in Fire and Blood about the coming rule of Jaharis and his oh, we need to man it's we good need stuff to. yeah it's, it's really good um, someday someday mm. we'll, we'll probably get there yeah um you know unless george releases winds real soon cool boy but uh yeah so they they fly to king's landing and take over and that's that's pretty much the story we got uh there are a few Ta-da. odds and ends where we can cover if we want to although we're we've got a long episode here <sighs> and we've got one more question from the Kalisar to hit it is from Gene. Two more. Do we have two one more? For, well, I mean, one for oh, you, one, one for me. That's right. He asked us each a question. Yeah. All right. right. We'll go for yours first. Go ahead. All right. This is going to be interesting to all four people who listen to our podcast that like hockey. Um, <laughs> Actually, it feels like there's a lot of them. You get a lot of response on your hockey stuff. Oh, that's great. And I love it. Uh, I know Gene's one of them. Uh, most of them are Red Wings fans. Katrina and John. Um and Gene, all of the Red Wings, and me being an Avalanche fan, there's a natural enmity there. Yeah, that was a good rivalry for a bit there. Uh, he said, if aliens challenged us to a hockey game for the fate of the world, and you were able to pick any six players, whom would you pick and why? I did clarify with him on Twitter today that if it was current players or anyone from any era, and he said anyone from any era, which I was hoping he'd say. So I picked six players, uh, just 
how you ice players in hockey. You have one goalie, two defensemen, and three forwards. So in goal, I've got Martin Brodeur. He's just the greatest goalie of all time. Uh, he won a bunch of Stanley Cups. He's clutch. He's going to win us games. You know who Marty Brodeur is, Scad? I've heard the name. From your era? Okay, great. Uh, played for the New Jersey Devils. And The only thing I know about the New Jersey Devils is that they had Satan on their team, which is awesome. I have a guy named Miroslav, you pronounced it Shatan, unfortunately, but yeah, Satan. It was spelled Satan, yeah. and he played for the Devils. It was brilliant. Yeah. <clears throat> um, on defense, I've got Bobby Orr, who's the greatest defenseman of all time, and I would peg as the most influential hockey player of all time. Wayne Gretzky was the best. Bobby Orr changed the game more than any other. Uh, great all-around defenseman. He was the first defenseman that kind of came up and started joining in on offense and scoring goals and revolutionized sort of the offensive side of the defensive hockey. Um, Bobby Orr, Boston Bruins, great. Uh, next, on defense, my favorite hockey player of all time. Adam Foot. Adam Foot. And you know what? I'm a little biased because he's my favorite, but that guy was a mean cuss. And while Bobby Orr is out there helping score goals and everything, you got to have someone back there to defend and beat the crap out of those aliens. And Adam Foote is going to do that for you. All right, at forward, I've got uh, this, I think, was one your favorite Avs player, guy you like a lot, Scad, was Peter Forsberg. Peter Forsberg. Yeah. At his best, Peter Forsberg was the perfect combination of grace and grit. That guy was a mean cuss. He would go up against anybody. He would. He was a bull in a china shop, how he would just pound guys and, and destroy them. But he was also super graceful, could score goals in bunches, and great. Um, next, uh, this one's for you, Gene, as a Red Wings fan. I picked Pavel Datsuk. He's a recently retired Red Wings player who is one of the craftiest, most imaginative, skilled players. I mean, in terms of pure skill. Pure hockey skill, Pavel Datsuk might have been one of the top five most skilled hockey players to ever play in the NHL. Um, won a bunch of Stanley Cups with the Red Wings. And then uh, finally, Mary, not Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky didn't make my team. Mario Lemieux of Pittsburgh Penguins fame. Uh, Blasphemy. Size, scoring ability, on-ice vision, uh, just this calm demeanor that he played the game. He's not going to get rattled. That's my lineup. Martin okay. Brodeur, Bobby Orr, Adam Foote, Peter Forsberg, Pavel Datsuk, and Mario Lemieux. I feel dang good about that lineup. Was he a better passer than Gretzky, though? Probably not. Because with those two others up there, feels like you want a, a guy that can score and pass. And that's actually all three of my guys. Yeah. And Pavel Datsuk was much more of a passer than a scorer. So okay. All right. I figured so he's, he's going to kind of... All right. Mario and Peter are kind of going to be my snipers who can also who can also rack up the assists. Pavel Datsuk's going to be my, my feeder. All right. He's going to get the assists. So. Well, a good, a, a good answer to that question. I'm sure Gene will appreciate it. I'm sure uh, everyone else listening did as well. <laughs> Uh, for my question, again, a very niche question that a lot of people will probably not care to, to know, but thanks, Gene, because I care. I care. I, I thought I care. about it a lot. Uh, yeah, you could answer this question, too. I, you haven't finished the second book yet, I don't think, but you did no, finish the first one. Uh, 
for Scad, who is your favorite character in the King Killer Chronicles, and why is it Devi? For those of you that don't know, um, the King Killer Chronicles may be surpassing Song of Ice and Fire as my favorite series. It's close. I like it a lot. I recommend it to everyone I get a chance to. Um, <laughs> Devi is a wonderful character. Uh, she's right up there, but because I can't ever pick the people that, just because I'm a contrarian that they suggest me to pick, I'm not going to pick her. My favorite are Willem and Sim. Uh, they're like a little comic troupe of friends uh, mm. of the main character, Quoth, and uh, I love them. Willem specifically, he, he just doubts everything, questions everything, doesn't trust anybody, and and yet he's got this little heart of gold. Um, I just I, I love them both a lot. I also really like Count Threep. I think there's something to that guy, and uh, I like him too. But uh, that's that's my answer. Read the King Killer Chronicles, everybody. It's really good. Yes. All right. Uh, that's it for that question. Uh, we have some odds and ends, Matt, but we've also had a really good podcast. <laughs> we could kind of save some of this stuff for a special episode, or oh man, what do you want to I... do? Um. Gosh, it is worth mentioning that one thing Magor did accomplish during mm-hmm. his reign was he completed the Red Keep, yep. right? Yep. As we know it now, before it was kind of just a a breastwork of timber, right? Yes. And he turned it into what it is now, and then he promptly killed all of the people that worked on it so that they couldn't reveal any of the secret passages that he right. stuck in there. And kind of thank goodness for, for Magor doing it and creating the secret passages because it makes it a lot more interesting in A Song of Ice and Fire today in the series sure. of reading with all those possibilities. And you know, Tyrion takes advantage of them and Varys takes advantage of them and uh-huh. uh, just some fun stuff there. Uh, yeah, Aegon started it uh, when he realized that he needed a better place. Aenys tried as well and Magor uh, put it to completion. So good job to that, I, I guess. Even I guess. Was, even though it was, again, <laughs> served as another like, example of his cruelty. Begrudging. Yeah, in the end, it was, yeah. Also also responsible yeah. for the creation of the Dragon Pit as well, Mangor, mm-hmm. or at least Stark. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, I think that's really the only thing that maybe has those far-reaching implications that we need to discuss today. I want to do one one more, the Rayana Ray and her companions, because we teased it a little bit up there. Oh, yeah. Um, I just find find this very interesting. The way George handles what is, I think, pretty clearly meant to be the historian's take on bisexuality or homosexuality. Um, The way they kind of say things like, they preferred the company of Mm -hmm. this squire, or this was her fate, Raina's favorite, you know? And Raina has several of these, uh, Larissa, Valerion... Uh, Samantha Stokeworth, I think, Elaine. Yeah, Mel uh, Piper. Melanie Piper, Alyssa mm-hmm. Casella. There's there's several of them that get mentioned in Sons of the Dragon that Rayanna kind of latches onto and is very close to. And I don't I just I guess I wanted your opinion, Matt. Do you do you think that, that, that that's what he's getting at like I do? And that that's yeah. sort of the way that they handle it in their culture is they they don't they don't wanna they don't wanna like deal with it. So they just kind of say, oh, it's like code. They kind of just say, oh, they prefer the company of of these people, of, of these ladies. Right. 
And I think and they just kind of like know, look the other way. And and I like that George, in a way, stays in character for that. You know, right? Yeah. That he's this is the way that an archmaster or a maester would write about this, and so that's how he's going to write about it. But he lets us come to that conclusion ourselves, and I yeah. think he wants us to come to that conclusion, yeah. um, which is really the best way to do something, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, it, I couldn't decide whether it was subtle or cowardly, but I I think I'm landing on subtle and, and well done. I think he's just being subtle. Yeah, I like... You know, I'm, I can't believe I'm actually comparing myself to George here. But one thing I've tried tried to work on with, like, my songwriting is just presenting a story and letting people come to their mm. own conclusions mm-hmm. with that story and not trying to, like, force force my – what I think is happening on them but letting them come to that themselves. Mm. And I think there's power in that. And it's empowering for the listener. Um well, for, I for sure felt that in the last one you let me listen to, which I've now forgotten the name, but uh, I told you in my feedback that it touched me a lot, that song that you that you made. Um, oh, thank you. For sure drew some of my own conclusions um, from it and just from the emotion it, it gave me. So, yeah, I can I can see you doing that. Good job, sir. Oh, thanks, buddy. Absolutely. But, yeah, I agree with you. I feel bad Jeez. for you fools out there that don't get to listen to Matt's stuff because it's pretty good. Maybe at Ice and Fire Con we can play Ooh. some guitar. I'm going to – one thing I'm going to try to do – I shouldn't commit to this on air – is relearn all of the uh, Davos Finger jingles oh. and try to be able to play them all because I've forgotten 80% of them, how to play them. So. <laughs> you know, it could make our little hangout really easy. You, mm-hmm. just, you could just play – just do a concert. Well, that would be over in seven minutes. So (laughs) each song's like 30 seconds long. Then we could all go to the panel that we're going to be missing that's happening at the same time, which I feel real Uh, bad about. Because I I think the panel that's happening at the exact same time as our thing is is the Empire of the Dawn. Oh. Yeah. Which I really like to be at. Someone record that. I know. Anyway. I'm sure you guys will all be there supporting us instead. Let's move yeah. on. All right. Shall we sign, sign off? off? Let's sign off. So I've been um, – I always I always have like a show that I'm not really paying attention to watching, but I put it on like when I'm doing the dishes or mm-hmm. getting ready for bed. I just kind of have it on in the background, and it's always like a comedy, like Parks and Rec or The Office or it's always Sunny in Philadelphia or something like that. And I just actually finished up The Office again. Mm. and. Those last two or three episodes of The Office are pure money. They are so good. And this has nothing to do with today's episode, but it just kind of it just kind of stuck with me since I watched it last night. So I'm going to use it in my sign-off. Uh, a quote from Andy Bernard. Not one of my favorite characters in The Office, but this was sweet. So this is Matt signing off, uh, quoting Andy Bernard from the series finale of The Office, who said, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Oh, that's sweet. That's that's very sweet. Uh, mine is something that I said earlier in the cast. Market zero! <laughs> that's it. I was... I almost use a big Lebowski quote too. Uh, that would have been great. Good one. Good one. Walter Subcheck. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <sighs> Good night. He's here with me right now. She can hear you. Okay.
Hi. Hey. So she did something pretty crazy for me, and uh, the reason she's on is I wanted her to tell you what it was. Oh, okay, great. So take it away, sis. Um, so I booked him a flight coming up in April. All right. This is happening. All right. This is great. <laughs> I, to I told her you would flip. I am so. super excited. Yeah. And and as important as me being excited, I know our listeners are going to be super stoked to see you. That's amazing. That is a great a great gift to all of us. Thank you. Oh, of course. Have fun. We will. Hey, Blood Riders, really only one song to tell you about that we used today, and this one's a, an old song that's new to me. It's called Novocaine by a band called Strung Out. Maybe if there's any Strung Out fans, you can tell me on a, a better album to find this on, because the best I could do is finding it on a compilation album where you find a lot of punk music, good punk music. It's compilation albums, but this one is uh, Fat Music Volume 5, Live Fat, Die Young. Uh, that came out in 2001. Again, the band's name is Strung Out. The song is Novocaine, and Maddie likes it. I like you guys even more, uh, and I loved doing this episode with SCAD for you guys. Hope you liked it as well. Stay savage, Blood Riders. Mm -hmm. 